0: to the Yak Sports Podcast with Joe Deck and Leland McRae. All right, we're gonna start another episode of the Yak Sports Podcast and sadly we're gonna to have to start this on more of a somber note. We have Patrick Height on with us to talk about the passing of Coach Hatcher. And Patrick, you know, the the area of Stanton, Augusta County, Waynesboro loses a legend.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's there's no other word to describe him but legend. He uh, uh, is the the greatest basketball coach ever in 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 the state of Virginia, right? I mean, I, you know, I don't know, maybe there's some private schools or something, but but there's not a better basketball coach than him. And, and if you look just coaches, I mean, Robert Casto obviously had a had a great career, but, but Paul Hatcher, eight hundred and ninety seven wins and. Now you know some people will say, "Well, four state championships, only four state championships." But you got to think back when he was coaching. Um, you know, there's only three classifications. Uh, for some of those years, they were in the tri- in AAA. I mean, Lehigh played in AAA for for a few of his uh, early years, um, and, and he he had some great teams that came so close and and just missed. Uh, he you know the the 85 game winning streak that's never going to be matched. Uh, he's just He's, he was an amazing coach, um, and I and I wrote a column today for the newsletter um, that's online. I, I think even a you know you hear this a lot of times. I think even a better person. Really, if you get to know him, he was just a he was just a classy, classy man. And it, you know he's he's going to be missed. I, I imagine a family visitation on uh, on Friday night and, and the funeral Saturday uh, is going to be packed because because he was well well loved and and his players. I'm sure there were some players that that didn't like him. You're not a coach and you're going to go through a career without somebody, but I've never heard one. Every player I've ever talked to, even players that, that, you know, got, got kicked off the team for a while. Every player I've ever talked to had nothing but good things to say about Paul Hatcher.
2: So that's kind of where I want to talk first about, and I do want to circle back to the basketball stuff because it, it does deserve to be talked about, but the more important side of this is his relationship with these players and and uh, the impact he's had on so many kids. And, you know, whether whether a kid was looking for a father figure or not, you know, he still felt filled that kind of role for everybody. He pretty much came in contact with. Um, talk about some of those stories that that you've heard and, and his relationships with his players and and what he's done to you know help these people's lives, not just go out there and and score more points in a basketball game and how they've really helped these guys be better men.
1: Well, I talked to uh, Kevin Madden a a little bit. Kevin called me, uh, I guess Friday night I was on the way to to a football game and and Kevin gave me a call. And so we chatted for a while and and I just asked him, I said, you know, when you're a a high school player and, and you're one of the top recruits in the country, right. And you're going through this, what, What did Paul Hatcher do to help you with that? Because that's got to be a a difficult thing as a kid just to kind of, kind of deal with all that attention and everybody's telling you how great you are and all these tremendous coaches showing up in Stanton to watch you play. And he could not say enough about Paul Hatcher and what, how Paul helped guide him through that and kind of keep him, keep him shielded a little bit. Right. So he didn't, he didn't have to take all that. Paul did a lot of that stuff. Paul talked to a lot of the coaches Paul kind of helped guide him to the, to the, to the right place, or he thought was the, you know, the right place. And, and it probably was, you know, the injuries obviously hurt Kevin at, at Carolina uh, there late, but, but he had a, a really good career at, at, in North Carolina, but, but yeah, he just said that Paul was a father. You use the word father figure. That's what he said. And he said, um, Paul just really kind of, kind of helped him through what could have been a really difficult time for, for a kid. Um, Keith, Keith Scott, um, I've, I've written about Keith and kind of what he went through in that 1990 season where his best friend is shot to death in front of him. And, and Keith, you know, has a gun held on him. And for, we don't even know why to this day that, that they didn't shoot Keith, but he had a really difficult time. And, and there was always that fear that somebody was going to come back to his house and and, and kill him because he was a witness. And Paul offered his house to Keith. He said, you know, I, I talked to Keith a little bit, uh, on, on Friday too. And, and, uh, Keith said that, that Paul said, Hey, Paul and Judy both said, Hey, come live with us. You know, if you need a place to come. And he said, that's all you need to know about the coach, right? It had nothing to do with bad because, because it had nothing to do with basketball. It was just that he's a great guy. And he said, Hey, if you need some place to live, come live with us. Um, and, and you're just going to hear that from, from so many players. Um, there's just so many players that really had, um, just, um, that kind of relationship with him where he would just take, you know, you'd go to this house and just sat, sit and talk, um, talk about life and don't get me wrong. He's comp- He's the most competitive coach I've ever known. Um, he wanted to win, um, and his players knew he wanted to win, but he didn't. After they had graduated, he still was there for them. Anytime they wanted to come back. I mean, Chris Lasseter would tell stories all the time where he would just go to the house and sit and talk. And he was, and Paul was there for all his players. And I think that's all you can ask for a coach, right? You're not, once you finish high school, you know, so many coaches are like, that's, that's it. I'm done. I'm done with you. You're done with me. Go on. But, but Paul's like, Hey, you know, I'm here for, for life. You know, you come, come back to me whenever you need something. And a lot of his players did.
2: I, it amazes me, too, with him, you know, you're mentioning the, the players that he had. I, the people I've seen talking about this today, in addition to people that have nothing to do with basketball, you know, other community leaders, other people in the area that just knew him and respected him. And whether they didn't they didn't interact because of basketball, they interacted because of his role at the high school or, or just, you know, the influence he had in the community. And I think that that starts to tell that bigger scope story is is the respect that he had amongst other leaders in the community, other not even leaders, just other people in the community, how he was able to touch them or at least gain their respect by, you know, this influence that he had with the young people at the high school and, and what carried on beyond that.
1: Yeah, and that's one of the reasons I wrote the story that I wrote today was kind of um his how he and his wife Judy, um, and yeah. and how strong that marriage was, because because for those who don't know, and, and a lot of people in Stanton did know, because Judy never hid this, and she talked to the community. But she she struggled with bipolar disorder for for many years. She's diagnosed in 1988, and for the rest of her life, she died in 2018. So the rest of her life, on and all, she struggled with that um, that disorder, and. Paul was always there beside her. That was one of the things that, that, um, that I remember most about him. When I had a chance to write the book and I went and sat with him on Sunday afternoons, um, er, you know, there were many, many Sunday afternoons that we would sit on his back porch or if it was too hot, we'd sit on, you know, in his living room. And Judy was always there and, and he would open up and she would open up and talk about all those struggles that, that they had that people didn't know, right? He's out coaching basketball games and they don't know when he goes home that, that he's gonna have a wife who's 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 you don't know, maybe there were nights he came home, she wasn't there. He had, she, she would be in a manic episode and they'd have to go find her. Um, there would be hospital visits where he'd leave practice and drive, you know, two hours to, to go visit her in a hospital. Um he uh I think after one season, um, he went 45 straight days to visit her in a hospital. Um, and he had two young kids at the time, too um you know young kids Jarrett was a senior when his mom was first diagnosed so he had two kids you know that and so Paul was shouldering a lot of this on his own and and it just I don't know it goes to show you what kind of person he was because he never really talked about it a whole lot um he just did what he had to do and I could just tell that relationship between the two of them was so strong And, and I know when she died it was really rough on him um and so yeah I don't know I just think uh I just think he's a he's a great person, and there's so many things about, you're right, outside of basketball, that people don't know about Paul Hatcher.
0: Well, and I know I'm asking you to speculate here, maybe, Patrick, but since you obviously knew him really well, you you knew him well enough to write a book on him. Do you think that played a role in, in I mean, obviously he's super competitive and won a lot of games here, and that's part of the reason he's so well-known, but having to deal with all that at home maybe helped him kind of have that better life, on the floor, off the floor, kind of life balance?
1: Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure it did. Um, you, you know, I, I think basketball, as he told me multiple times uh, uh, during a lot of those seasons was just an escape for him. right? It was a chance to, to be yeah. there in a basketball gym where all he could do was focus on the players and the game. And that was a chance to kind of escape from all of this other stuff that's going on in his life. But you're right. I I think he did understand that there was more to life than basketball. And it, it kind of sounds funny coming from because, because again, most competitive person I've ever known, like he hated to lose. And I can tell you a few stories about that. And, and I, I'll tell you, the first time I I, I met Jarrett was because of, of one of these losses that Paul just was not handling well. So he did not handle losing real well. He hated it. In fact, I don't think he ever enjoyed victories that much. It was always he win and then you worry about the next game, but God, he would torment it over, lo- over losing. It would bother him for years. Like when we were doing the book, we talk about losses that happened you know, 30 years ago and he would still get, he would stand up and he'd start walking on his port and he would stomp and he would just recalling it would make him so mad. He still carried those losses with him. So no, he did have a great, work-life balance but he still he hated losing he hated losing more than anything but i think he did understand hey you know outside of basketball there's there's more to life and there's things going on and, and i think when when she was diagnosed in 88 it, it that's when it really kind of hit home to him um I, I was telling you i'll tell you quickly the, the first time i ever met jared so i knew the hatchers growing up i kind of knew who they were i didn't really know them that well but and, and Jared and I over the years have become friends now, but the first time I ever met him, they were at a – it was a state tournament game, and I, and I can't remember where it was, which is crazy because Paul had like an eidetic memory. Like, like when we were doing the book, he would tell me about games that happened 20, 30 years ago, and he would tell me minutiae of these games, right, the, the seconds, the exact number of seconds left on the clock or who had the ball at this moment – and I'd always be like, oh yeah, okay, he's probably got it somewhat right. And I'd go back to our archives and look up the paper, uh, look up the story, and he was right. Like not, not like half the time, not like nine out of ten. Like every time, he he knew exactly what happened. he remembered it exactly. So so to me to say I can't remember where this game played, I, I feel pretty bad about that. But I, I want to say like the Salem Civic Center or something because I remember seeing there, but. It was after a state game. They had just lost. And all the reporters, and because it's a state-level game, there's a lot more than just local reporters standing there waiting for him to come out. And he's not coming out. And he's not coming out. He's not coming out. And finally, Jarrett comes out. And that's the first time I'd ever met Jarrett. He comes out, and he says, guys, dad's not coming out tonight. He's just <laughs> hes not handling this loss well, and he's not coming out. So Jarrett gave the interview, um, and Jarrett was always happy to be there. Give an interview. He's never met a microphone he didn't like. So um, so he was happy to give the interview. And, and you know, I said, and now the thing was I asked Jared afterwards. I, I just had met him and I said, Hey, you think if I give you my number, your dad'll give me a call tomorrow, just to kind of tell me. He said, Yeah, I'll see what he can do. And he did, to, to Paul's credit the next day. And he talked, he apologized. He just said he, he was not handling that well. And and that was Paul Hatcher, like he just hated to lose and and it, it wasn't he didn't just blame the players he didn't blame just the officials he blamed I mean, he blamed everybody he, he, he it was his fault but he hated officials too he, he he would blame his players he would just he that was Paul Hatcher I I don't know how else to describe him um you know uh the paper at that time Hubert Grimm was the sports editor and Hubert covered a lot a lot of his games and it, it, hubert treated them like they were a college team at that time like he would come he would he would write he would be very critical like most prep writers understand that these are kids and you're not going to be critical of the kids for the most part you're not going to be critical to coaches now i'm guilty of being critical of, of some high school coaches before
2: but i, I think okay, i'm guilty part, of that as well on twitter <laughs> yeah
1: For the most part, you understand that these coaches are doing this for not a whole lot of money and they're out there coaching your kids. And and the kids, they're teenagers, they don't deserve your criticism. I mean, it's different at high level of college or pro or something. But but Hubert treated them like they were a college team. He would be critical of the kids. He'd be critical of Paul Hatcher when he thought he needed to be. He would write these harsh stories. And I talked to Paul after Paul retired about that. And Paul said he never minded because he, he felt the same way about his team. Like, that's how he treated the team. <laughs> so he couldn't be mad at Hubert for treating them that way as well. And, and Hubert praised him when he, when he needed to be praised, and that was often. Like, I mean, they were winning a lot more than they were losing. So it, it's just funny that that's how he looked at his team, and he never, he never took that stuff personally. Like, if you criticized them, he was more critical than you were of his team. So he never took that stuff personally. Um, but but man he took losing personally he hated losing I've, I, I know there's a lot of coaches that don't like losing but I don't think I've ever met anybody that, that it bothered as much as him.
2: So shifting back to the basketball because no matter I mean he super guy touched a lot of people in the community for their entire lives the basketball does worth being word is worth being discussed the marks that you can talk about the 838 winning percentage, Overall, the uh, nine twenty-three winning percentage at home, those four state championships. On top of that, five times making it to that game and and not winning. So nine times appearing in state championships at the levels that you were talking about playing, and you know three A and stuff like that. The the recruits that he, cre- you know, brought along at Stanton, like Kevin Madden and just a list of the guys. I, I mean, I I always reference Tyler Crawford and Jason Rogers because that was during my time, but. You know the guys from the '80s and um, Adam Huffman, Keith Scott, Marcus Reed, um, Chris Davis. You know all those guys, and, and you've already mentioned a couple of those.
1: Yeah, even had Mark Newland. Go all the way back to Mark Newland who played. Yeah, yeah. At you I mean, he played at UVA, and and that's a yeah. that's a that was a long long time ago. Um, uh, and and it's it's amazing to that that drink between Mark and Paul. They're still they super tight um, for for many years. So. So, yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of, you know, there's some people that would say maybe he didn't, for the success he had, maybe he didn't send as many players to, to major colleges as he should have. But but then again, you look sure. at that and say, well, if these players aren't going to big-time colleges and he's still winning like that at the high school level, that's that's pretty impressive. Um, and, and he did, as you said, he sent several players to, to, to ACC schools and to Georgetown and to, to big-time schools. So.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. I It's just amazing to me that we live in this area that, the be, you know, the best coach that ever coached in the state of Virginia. I and mean, it's just amazing to me, the connections that I knew he had. You know, I, I know Brandon uh, probably a little bit better than I know Jarrett. We covered – Joe and I covered Jarrett during the recent state runs uh, that that program had, which – and I mean, he, he follows his dad coaching and then wins the state championship. How incredible is that? Um, but, uh, you know, talking to Brandon and, and, and hearing some of these stories on his connections and uh, – you know, the people that Brandon got to meet because of who his dad is. And and it was, you know, never, Coach Hatcher didn't have, you know, that he belonged. You know, it was it was all, bit you know, Brandon was excited to meet these people because it was, you know, top people of North Carolina, the, the premium names of North Carolina that he met and stuff like that. I just think it's incredible that here in this small town where I grew up, you know, I, I'm born in King's Daughters Hospital, probably just like Coach Hatcher's kids were, and here's this guy that just is is the best of the business, and you know, put him up against any, you know, I'm I'm gonna put him up against any coach in any state, uh, their best state basketball coach. I'll, I'll put him up against him, and and I had this respect for him. I never went to Stanton. I never played for Stanton. I I wasn't one of the kids at the Y or on the playgrounds in Stanton, but still, I knew how much respect coach Hatcher got and deserved. And when we played him in summer league games, cause I, we never played them in the regular season when I played in high school, uh, I'd have been sitting anyway. Uh, but you know, just the respect and just running down the court and like, Oh wow. Coach Hatcher's right there. Like, that's amazing to me. Like, it, it's just, it, it all kind of confounds me on, you know, how much of a legend this guy was. And here he is from Stanton and, you know, shopped at the same, uh, Walmart I went to, or, or, you know, ate at the same Lawn Johns that Joe uh, eats at, you know, that, that kind of stuff. It's just the right here, hometown guy. And he's, you know, worthy of such accolades on a state and even national recognition.
1: You mentioned real real quick, one other quick story is to talk about how competitive Paul was. I remember, and I'm going to get the numbers wrong, because I don't have them in front of me right now, but Jarrett, his first season, I guess, as a, as a JV coach, something went like, 15 games, I think. And uh Paul had reminded him that I guess his first season, he had won 16 games. So he was even competitive <laughs> with his son. He was like, he was like Yeah, well, you had a great season, son. But remember when I was, was my first year, I won 16 games. So it's like, he was, that, 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 he was that, that competitive with everybody. So that's <laughs> what creates
2: Garrett to be able to go on yeah. and coach that team to a state championship. I mean, that like, Yeah, you know we live in this world where things get softened. You know some of that stuff works. (laughs) Some of that mentality stuff works, and you know there's there's no question of him loving his son or anything. But like that kind of picking on him, that kind of drive, he knew is what could fuel him to be a great coach, and and it and it worked. So it's that's amazing. Yeah, Yeah, it's a great story. Uh,
0: Well, I mean, you touched on this, and I know he's competitive, and you just touched on the competitiveness with his son. But when Jarrett won that state championship, I'm I'm sure you had a chance to talk to coach Paul Hatcher too. And, you know, what did that mean for him seeing his son follow in his footsteps and win that state title?
1: I think he, honestly, I think he might've enjoyed that more than, than his own titles. Like I, I had a chance I was on the floor uh, that night and they were, they won and, and I had the video of all the players, you know, mobbing each other. But then I, I knew what was going to happen. I knew Paul had been standing in the, uh, the, the the corner of the Siegel center there just waiting and so when Jarrett finished up, you know, celebrating with his players, he had it right to his dad. And I, that hug, I like I'll always remember that hug that the two of them shared. His dad was so happy for him to win that championship because, you know, there had been criticism. Mm-hmm. Is, is Jarrett really deserve the job? You know, he's, he's just getting it because of nepotism and, and maybe, maybe he's not going to be as good as his dad. And then, you know, he struggled. He had for, for a few seasons there struggled, so he got that state championship, and I think his dad just—I don't know—I don't know who was happier, honestly, Jared or 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 Paul, that night. But I will—I will always remember standing there and just watching the two of them hug and and the tears come down their face. It was—it was a great night. It was.
2: Well, you know, it's this is one of those topics that's going to carry on. You know, we we brought you on tonight because you wrote the book. (laughs) And uh, we know how much you know him. And you're uh, common with our sh- with our show, but this is one of those topics. You know, we're going to have so many people on on the podcast that we've already had or, or new people that they're going to have their relationship with Coach Hatcher. And uh, you know, I think this is going to be part of the exports podcast for a time here. Of you know, tell us your Paul Hatcher story. Tell us something that reminds you of the of him, or, or you know, one of the things that uh, make you smile when you think about it, because it's just you, know, you talked about coach lassiter or, or chris lassiter and what he i mean he put out a, a nice thing today and um mm-hmm. you know not that we're driving people away from reading yours read patrick's and read
1: no Cousins. no read read chris lassiter's chris, anything chris <laughs> writes you should read first of all but but yeah he did put in a tremendous uh column on on paul hatcher and you know when I only got to know him as a journalist. You only get to know coaches so much. And then I got a chance to sit in his house and talk to him. And I, th- I felt like that got us a lot to be a lot closer, but at the same time, you never get to know players, uh, coaches like that, unless you're a player for them, right? If you are a player yeah. for these coaches, you get to know them in a different way than anybody else ever did. And and that was Chris and, and every other player that played for him over 43 years, but, like, it's a special bond that the that, that player coach has. And, and Chris did a tremendous job of that story.
2: Well, we appreciate you coming on here to talk about him first, and uh, you know, help set up the rest of these guys that we'll welcome on. And you know, we have the, uh, we've had the Valley Boys uh, guys on, and and trying to, uh, you know, help we'll them back, but also Chris and anybody else. But uh, thank you for, you know, come willing to be coming on right here this quick after this has happened, ahead of uh, all the, you know, needed um, times to mourn. Uh, coach Hatcher and think about um, how much he's meant for everybody around here but uh, thanks for coming on and and telling us uh, a little more in depth for our listeners because I know us youngins don't (laughs) don't know it all like you do Um, and yeah not that you know it all but know as much as you do after writing that book but we appreciate you coming on
1: hey thanks for having me on
0: Thanks again to Patrick Hype for coming on and talking to us. Uh, Leland, let's switch gears to high school football, and let's start with good news, because that's what I am, is a sunshine ray of positivity. <laughs> so right. Wilson Memorial went out 155-8 to against Charlottesville, absolutely pounding the Charlottesville Black Knights in a win that kind of uh, opened some eyes, not because Wilson won, but because the manner in which they did when they were up 41 nothing at the end of the first quarter and uh, coach bird i guess kind of felt bad for charlottesville maybe and called off the dogs there after that first quarter
2: they were scoring every which way is what's the fun thing about this they had an opening kickoff to start the career as a head coach for <laughs> coach bird there which you gotta love and then tyree rushes for three touchdowns um 12 minutes of the game he scored four times already uh, they had a pick six returned. They had another pick six returned. They had a fumble recovery for a touchdown. It's just, it's just awesome when you can score that many different ways in a game. Much less the first game of Coach Bird's head coaching career. I just, I love it for him. I, I think it's the Yak Sports bump. I really do think uh, we had something <laughs> to do with it there. Uh, but no, I mean it's just super frame. I'm super excited for him. I've been really positive about Wilson ever since speaking with him because there was stuff on paper to believe that they could have a good chance this year. This game doesn't prove that they're the best team in the district or the state or the, you know, the side of the country by any means, but you want them to go out and handle Charlottesville. They did more than that. They did more than what you expected out of them. So you got to love that. It's a good signal rolling into a big time game against TA the one of the only other Local teams to win, and not in our county. No other team in our county won this weekend, but one of few teams to win in our general region. Uh, and they face off with each other next week with TA, and and that goes back to a point I was making. I, I emailed Cody Elliott because we do those polls. There's nineteen oh, yeah, teams gotta, in that poll. That I gotta send mine in. <laughs> the, the, the teams in that poll were six and thirteen on Friday night. Only six wins came out of all nineteen of those teams. Four of those games were played between two teams in that poll, so one of them had to win. So really only two teams won a game from a team outside of this general area, and uh, it was just not a good night for local football, uh, but it was a good night for Wilson, and Wilson was one of those teams to beat a team that's not in that poll. So congratulations to them, uh, the only Shenandoah district team, to get a victory on Friday, which if someone's trying to make the case of how great the Shenandoah district is – Friday night was something you want to wipe from people's memory. You want to min and black on that one uh, because you do not want to think about what happened Friday. Because a lot of one-point losses, some of those one-point losses are better than others. And we'll we'll get to some of that. But uh, just reviewing that real quick, Bull Run District had two teams to win, Central Woodstock and Clark County. And the Valley had two teams to win, the East Rock and then TA, like we said. So it sets up a big game for Wilson. And we're going to be there for radio. You and I are going to be calling Mm -hmm. that game uh, a little yak action on uh, Friday night. And uh, I'm excited. I mean, TA has a lot of weapons, they beat Fort Defiance, that's down here in the list. I, I think what stood out from reading about TA is that they made plays with their maturity and their returning senior kind of stuff, like they had a fake, um, a fake spike and then you know, threw a touchdown pass. and they kind of took advantage of turnovers at the right time. Not that they didn't give up some turnovers and Fort took advantage of them, but TA really like looked like the more experienced team. And that's what you want to see from a team that is projected to win the Valley district and one of the few teams in the Valley district to win a game. So I, I like that for them, but I mean, I, I'm, I'm rooting for the teams closest to us at all times. And especially coach Burr that's been on the podcast. So I hope, I hope they have what it takes to beat TA. I think it's going to be a good one. I, I don't think it's going to be some one-sided game in either direction. If Wilson whoops up on T.A., then we might be talking about some different <laughs> ceilings for this team. But, uh, yeah, I'm excited about Friday night. And uh, two 1-0 teams, I, I don't think there's any other of those matchups involving our teams. Um, there can't be, because all the rest of them lost. So, right. uh, yeah, it's going to be good.
0: Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think this is going to be a good game this week. Uh, and seeing what they did against Charlottesville, kind of like you, <clears throat> it's it's better than I expected. but. You don't know if that means Wilson is better than we thought, Charlottesville is worse than we thought, or little column A, little column B. So we're going to find out a lot about Wilson. At least
2: you're not saying negative. There's yeah, a negative exactly. There's,
0: I can't, I can't yeah. find anything that I'm upset about with Wilson's performance, which is really, after an opening week, all you want is a coach. And that's not something we can say about any of these other teams in our area. Um, but...
2: Something you might point out, a person could point out. Well, they didn't throw any passing, and they're replacing a starting uh, quarterback. They didn't need to pass. So I'm not yeah. going to hold that against them. And and then and so obviously, whoever's a quarterback never turned the ball over either. And that's what you got to have. So I, I'm not going to hold them against that. Yeah. I think they'll need some passing. They will. It's they not will. Negative. I, think I expect that we'll need to see some quarterback look downfield and try to complete a pass.
0: Sure, and I think that TA game is going to be big, right? And I think, you know, you you said this game doesn't. Mean that they're necessarily the best team in the district or change anything in terms of that, but a game where I think they're within a score against TA, or even if they go out and beat TA, I think then we start talking about that. It doesn't have to be a blowout of TA. If they beat TA or are very into that game down to the last possession, to me, that's we start that conversation and we'll get to why we can start that conversation in a minute. But for me, this this is a big time game for Wilson Memorial. This is a game that I think is within reach. Uh, we'll see. I'm sure coach bird and coach Rolfe are going to be talking a lot this week. Um, we know that they're good friends and that's, just, <laughs> yeah. you know, coach Rolfe just got done with TA. I'm sure coach Rolfe would love to see coach bird enact some revenge and be able to beat TA yeah. for them and uh, represent possible, the district. Well, he
2: still has access to that film. Some, for some, you know, possibilities. you never know, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, but I guess that would get shared anyway. So yeah,
0: good luck. Good luck to the green Hornets next week. As Leland said, uh, We'll be there. You and me will be there uh, on 5 30 p.m. Start on that kickoff show. So be sure to tune in to 1240 a.m. Where you can find it on www.espn1240theboss or the tune in app searching WTON. Lila and I will have that game for you. All right. Let's talk about the game we were at this Friday. Riverhead Central. Hmm. Um, okay. Let, you know what? Because I'm a spray of sunshine and positivity, we'll start with the positives. Uh, Caden Cook Cash, another solid performance out of him. Not really shocked by that. 16 carries, 129 yards. Uh, Roberts ended up getting a touchdown. The defense played pretty strong, I thought, throughout the ball game. I was really impressed with the defense. Um, But the offense, outside of Caden Cook Cash, I I know I just mentioned Roberts, 6.7 yards per carry and a touchdown. But the offense just wasn't good enough. They didn't finish drives like we're used to seeing Riverheads do. And I think a lot of that starts up front, Leland. I, I I felt for the first time in a long time, the size of Riverheads line became an actual problem. Normally it is smaller, but they're so disciplined and they're so good. And they have those power. They have multiple power backs. It feels like this year they have a power back. His name is Caden Cook Cash and everybody else needs some help and they don't have enough of it up front.
2: Yeah. Up uh, Up front. I'm not going to say every single play Central just dominated Riverheads in the line, but there was definitely more plays that Central and, and, and by a wide margin. Um, Riverheads had their spots and that's where they would get downfield and they'd have the big play or they get that, you know, play to continue a drive. But, I, you know, I would say seven or six out of ten, seven out of ten plays Central had the push. And some of those plays, they still Riverhead still had positive because Caden catch is there. Whether it was him running the ball or on defense, they weren't getting pushed up front. But here comes Caden just stopping the ball right at the um, at the at the opening of the line of scrimmage on uh, the offensive central. So I I I worry that have how banged up Triple C looked. I think he was out of the game a good bit in the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to go back and find stats exactly on what happened in the fourth quarter when he was in, when he was out especially defensively. I know offensively he was out. Um, and that's just from the excitement of a game and getting, you know, focusing on the big picture and not just watching one player uh, come on and off the sidelines. I think if they were on our near silence, it'd have been easier to track. Um, I'm interested to hear on what, how banged up he is, if there's something significant there or not. I'm, oh my goodness. I'm hoping not for multiple reasons, but his own personal future and opportunities ahead of him. I'm really just hoping for that sake, mostly more than anything. But at the same time, I think Riverhead season would look different without him. And so I'm really hoping he's not out uh, on the second level there. But this sounds really negative for Riverheads. and They lost and they didn't do this right and they didn't do that. They played a really darn good team. They played a team that's just coming off a state run. They're having a lot of solid players. We saw good football played in a lot of spots in that game. I think equally there was some rust, equally some uneasiness um, that we weren't we wouldn't see in a November matchup that we're hoping to get back in this game. Um, but I think, I think here in a couple of weeks, we'll look at this a little bit different. We'll know more about Caden. We'll see what Riverheads does against Taswell, against Fort. Uh, and then I think they have the bye week. So that, I think, I think when they hit that bye week, we can kind of look at Riverheads and maybe frame this a little bit more realistically as that was a power matchup between two great teams. Riverheads may not be playing like they, we saw them when they finished the season last year, but we'll see more of their pieces and more of their other people that can run the football. I, I mean, even in big games in previous years, when Riverheads played a hard draft team or a hard Lord Botat team, you know, the cream rose to the top and we just might not know who that cream is quite yet. And maybe some of those players on that team don't know that, that that's what they got to be quite yet. We've seen Riverheads traditionally play their best football in November. So I think in August, it's hard to just write them off at, by any means. So I, I, I think, you know, some of the, message board talk and welcome to class two and all that just I rolled my eyes reading it and kept moving because it's just that's one game a one-point game and a game they easily could have won to be fair to that though I think some of these points we made we'd have made even with a victory if they won that game seven nothing I still think we'd say some of those what you led off with I think we'd make those same points
0: yeah and I guess more so than not and you've already touched on this more so than not this feels and I'm not saying Caden Cook-Cash is the only player on this team, but the team feels more reliant on Caden Cook-Cash than they have in the past. There's Luke Bryant's not walking through that door, right? And, and that's very apparent.
2: Well, to start this season last year, or two years ago, we didn't know – like, it kind of felt like that to a degree. A young Caden Cook-Cash, we knew we could depend on him as a Riverheads fan, as I just showed my homerism. But we weren't sure who else would be. And in the first two games of that season, it wasn't uh, – uh, it wasn't uh, Luke Bryant. So he really came out in that Lord Bata talk game. So I, I am eager to see if we have something like that step up. I think that Talbot could could be that answer. He came in and provided a little bit of pop, a little bit of speed, where I think Caden has that a little bit power. You're He's not wrong. Power back, but still has speed. but, but I, think, I think Talbot could be that little spark that this backfield needs.
0: I mean, we'll see, Leland. But, I mean, his numbers, seven carries eight yards, and six of them were on one
2: play. Yeah, twice he went backwards when he should have gone forwards. I, I, I hear and you. The stats don't say it. I just when they brought him in the second half, you could see a little bit of difference. <sighs> I think that was part of the success they had moving the ball in that quarter. Um so yeah. I, I I'm eager to see how this plays out.
0: I'm also concerned that we didn't see any passes.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I mean there was yeah. a situation late in the late in the game where I thought, you know, maybe a second and twenty-three, you're at the forty seven. Uh, another first down eats into more clocks, sets you up for another score to put the game away. And you run no yards. Third and 23, you run four yards. Then you have to punt. And then that's the drive where Central goes down the field and scores, um, with a, and really aided by a, an uncharacteristic mistake and a late hit out of bounds that really helped Central move the ball 15 yards. There were some sloppy penalties in this game that, um, you would think will get corrected as the season goes on. But that's stuff that I I think in years past, Riverheads has been able to get away with. And unlike people, I'm not going to say this is a welcome to class two moment. I I think this is a different Riverheads team. I I think last year's Riverheads team can have a 15-yard penalty and survive that. Because I think they're going to be up by more than one score at that point in the ballgame if everything else plays out. Um, Yeah,
2: I think a veteran, I I think last year's team was a bit of a veteran team. I don't think this year's a rebuilding by any means, but like the veteran quarterback, the veteran you know, second option at running back last year involved. I, I agree. I think last year, I think they win that game. Veteran in tight in end,
0: league, veteran yeah. receiving options. Yeah. yeah. Um, receiving,
2: yeah. I didn't see tight end receiving options in this game. It's a concern that they don't have the confidence to call that in some of those I, games.
0: I was talking to somebody else uh, today that was asking about the game. And, and I said, my my takeaway from the game was Riverheads is mortal. This is the first time since I've been down here that I have seen Riverheads look Mortal, uh, since since the year they lost to Stanton in Central, really in that regular season, um, but then after those two games, I look at what lies ahead for them in that postseason and go, "All right, no worries here." Um, and now it is a different classification, and this is where, but that's a that's a later down the road problem in the postseason where you're actually going to have a team like Central who you maybe play again that will be an interesting test. Maybe draft will be an interesting test this year. Who knows? Uh, I think they played actually that that game was tighter than I thought it was going to be. Um, but let's, in fact, let's move to that game. Now draft also right. a one point loser. They lose seven to six uh, against King William in a game where I thought the defense, which I thought was maybe not going to be as good as it was last year, actually rose to the occasion, kept them in this ball game. The offense though, that we did have the questions about it's hard to tell because one, we weren't there, but they didn't put up the points needed to beat King William. And man, if you would have told me King Williams only going to score seven points in this game against Stuart draft, I would have said, wow, maybe draft does win this game. And seeing that they only score six does kind of worry me considering uh, we just don't know. We have so many question marks about this Stuart draft offense and where they're going to go last year. Those questions weren't answered. So they're coming back. And yeah, now it's another loss. It's a close loss against a very good team, but for Stewart's Draft, moving forward, it's Riverheads is still ahead of you, which you worry about year in, year out. It's a great rivalry. And now Wilson looks like they could be a legit challenger. And you're like, are you the third best team in the Shenandoah district this year? Again, who knows? That's not really good enough yeah. for folks at Stewart's Draft.
2: Yeah. And, and the same as I said for Riverheads, they played a good team. I, yeah. I trust that Keen Williams is a good team because they're a good program. So I, I don't, I, I think... Honestly, from the real conversations you and I had on pregame shows on this podcast, we have our questions that have turned into doubts for Stewart's draft. I think this makes me feel better about their defense and know better about their offense. Maybe even a little bit worse. I heard that the Graber kid was going to be not playing quarterback. Well, he was playing quarterback. So, what changed? What you know? What? what was weird from the game plan that was out out being talked about two weeks ago to what they had now. And maybe I heard false information. I heard it from two different directions. So, but I, I'm interested to know what happened there. Uh, I mean, that's a player that we figured would be good for them. Landon Graber, uh, 12 carries 60 yards. He had the big touchdown run that was their only touchdown in the game. Um, His younger brother, He's one of the running backs, 18 carries, 52 yards. He had 19 tackles on defense. That guy, that kid's a stud. That's what we've learned there. But we got to learn more about the offense. I think the defense is going to be something that draft hangs their hat on. We expected that. We got to learn more about their offense and what it's going to be because the unknowns of last year produced varied results. And, you know, it was inconsistent results and you had good games and then you'd lose to Stanton and then you'd be okay in the next game and then you'd. Went beat fort 10 to seven. So like, it's, it's going to be, you got to figure that out. And so, um, not a terrible sign. I think these two one point losses are the better one point losses in the district. Cause they're against good yeah. programs that have recent state experience. So I, I, I will keep Stuart. I will probably move Stewart's draft a little bit up from what I was thinking. I'll keep riverheads towards the top. Um, but you know, I think we've just talked about the three best teams in this district in my mind. And oh, I think know, there's the the a goal. We'll start to, Huh? I
0: think there's a sizable golf between the top three and everybody else.
2: Yeah, we don't like some of these other results. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm i interested to see. Now, draft coming up, um, and, and we didn't talk about Riverhead's next game. Draft coming up has Surrey County. That's a game we haven't talked about before because I heard about it for the first time on Friday. They traveled to Surrey County. They picked up the game. Surrey County's not the greatest opponent. They lost 49-0 to uh, North uh what was that? North, uh, um, never say it right. Northumberland. They lost 49, nothing to them. Northumberland, decent team, but still a 49, nothing loss. Doesn't give me a lot of confidence. Draft could use this as a business trip, go down there, take the long trip, figure stuff out. Um, that's what I could see happening there would probably assume they'll win that game. Riverheads, they go to Tazwell. Again, that's a long trip. I assume they'll go there and win Tazwell though plays Riverhead's tough these last three years, the COVID spring and these last two full football seasons. They played them tough, even though Riverheads would go on to win pretty well. They're not as focused on their passing game as in past years. I think that will help Tazwell. So Tazwell's probably, hey, we got Riverheads spinning a little bit with their first loss. Let's go take advantage. That that has to be, you know, a motivating factor for them. I still think Riverheads takes care of business because I think they're a better team, better program there. But uh, you know, on the long trip, on this coming off a loss, thing, weird things happen in football. So uh, we'll see what happens there.
0: And so I guess to keep the theme we're going we're going on, we said Wilson, keep it close. You could win that game against T.A. That's the goal. Yes, Riverheads. Yes. should I beat Taswell, but it might be yes. closer than folks are used to seeing. Draft. I-, yes. I need to see draft put four scores between them and Surrey County. Like I Surrey County is not good. I'm not saying this loss oh, means... Yeah. I, I'm not saying this loss means Stewart's draft's hopes of, you know, crashing the Riverhead Central rematch party that everybody's looking forward to. I'm not saying that's out of the realm of possibility. I think this defense is probably good enough to do that. It's just needing to see the offense improve throughout the season. Um, but th- they need to put four scores between them and Surrey County. This cannot be a close game. I think this has got to be scoring a scoring
2: Four times would be good for a team that only scored 21 points a game last year. This is going to be one of their easier opponents. They need to have... 28, 35. But that's what I'm saying. Like if they don't, if the they world don't
0: world win this world game world. by four scores, I am going to be worried.
2: Worry about their offense. Yeah. Um, cause Wilson has an offense. <laughs> yeah.
0: All right. Another one point loss in the district belonged to Buffalo gap. They lost to James river 13 to 12. And this kind of starts the, uh, Oh, section of the podcast. Um, good news. Blake Robertson scored. And had two interceptions. Bad news. This team did not look very good against a bad James River team.
2: Yeah, you're the player you thought would be their best player was their best player, and uh, that's not enough for Buffalo Gap. Not even against James River. I I've, I've framed Gap season this year as a rebuild. I think this just solidifies that what they're dealing with. Yeah, but this was now, one of the
0: games we thought they would win.
2: This is a game we thought they'd win. Absolutely. So, but hey, this gives them opportunity to get better. Uh, These next two weeks is going to be really tough to get better. I think it's going to be a lot of hard lessons these next two weeks as they got Luray this coming week, who's coming off a 28-14 loss to East Rock, but I still think Luray's solid. Uh, The week after that, they have Clark County. So I think more lessons are going to be learned by Buffalo Gap, maybe by further margin in these next couple weeks. Um, But I think traditionally Gap is well coached. I think that staff is a good coaching staff. So I, I think there's lessons to be learned but I think as far as this year, I think the expectation of, you know, picking up, you know, filling in the hole that Riverheads leaves, I, I think you're gonna be a lot more self-focused and not even worry about the tradition of 1B or anything like that and just focus on getting better and doing that. Cause a team that loses to James River is not state bound. And so they need to, you know, focus on getting better and make the playoffs, that kind of stuff. Cause I think I, I could see Owen three sitting here in a couple weeks. And that's, that's a scary spot for Buffalo gap. Uh,
0: why stop there? I could see Owen four.
2: I, I just didn't look at the rest of their schedule. I, I said the next two games, I can't remember the fourth one.
0: Oh, it's East rock. I'm looking at it. That's why. Cause I, in uh, my, at the beginning yeah. of the season, when we did our tailgate show on the go show tailgate show on 1240, um, yeah, I said three and seven. <laughs> I, I had this as a win. So James
2: River was probably the easiest win or maybe Waynesboro, but I mean, one of the easier <laughs> wins of the, yeah, of the now, now I'm
0: like two, there's still a path to three, maybe if they start really clicking at the end of the year, but maybe two. I, I don't know. I, I am worried. I am worried about this team. This is not good. Uh, out of Buffalo Cap. gap, but
2: I think every team, East rock one, East rock won. East rock won. And Wilson won. That's the only two teams. Just look at their schedule. Only two teams on the schedule won this week.
0: Yeah, but Larray's loss is so, better than Buffalo Gap's loss.
2: It is. It is better than that. I, I, I'm worried about them being no. And
0: I, I, this LeRae game, gosh. Keep it close.
2: It was 43-7 last year, and Gap was a you know, region semifinalist. Keep it close. Larray ended up not even going that far. Just hope. So, like, ooh. just
0: hope. Get that bison in a position LeRae, to stare you- in their eyes. I don't know.
2: Larray has a new coach. I didn't even know this. The Nolan Jeffries, he's not there anymore. One of the assistants that was under him. Okay. And I think an assistant with him before that yeah. he's the new coach there. at Larray. I just want to say that for our listeners to know that. Cause I, I just missed that news in the off season.
0: Well, it'll be a big game for Buffalo gap next week. Cause did not start the season the way they wanted to speaking of teams that didn't start the season the way they wanted to Stanton one point loss to Madison County. Um, I don't know where the good news is here um, because they should have won this game. So I can't say you were winning f- for, you know, portions of the game. I, uh, You needed to win. You needed to win this game. This is not, this is not a good Madison County team. I don't care how it gets framed on Friday night. It's not a good Madison County team. This has got to be a win. This is our nightmares come true on our concerns for Stanton's offense in my opinion
2: yeah it, it's it, I just don't think much of Madison County of late I know people can frame it that they made the playoffs last year but that I, oh, I just who cares Stanton Stanton's at a better spot than that they they made the playoffs in class 3c last year they're looking to move up they're looking to improve on seven wins or at least get back to that point and losing to Madison County is not part of that formula so um not a whole lot out of their quarterback. They did have a couple longer drives, uh, only like one of those, only one of those finished in a touchdown. Um, yeah, I I don't know. I think they're going to be another team that's really dependent on their defense. And, uh, that scares me for them because I think their defense can be good. I just don't think they can be supreme or, you know, superior to some of these other defenses we already talked about. So yeah, I, They find a way to make big plays. You know, they got a touchdown on defense. That's typical Stanton these last, you know, last year. And and it's nice to see that continue here. But, uh, you know, I appreciate that coach, um, that coach appreciated that his team fought hard. It wasn't the effort. It was stuff they can fix was kind of how he framed it. I, I like to see that quickly. I'd like to see against Rockbridge, you know, an improvement on that. I think Rockbridge is a good team to have coming next, a team that lost to Perry McClure, 55 to 14. Yeah, they stink. Rockbridge team that I didn't think of last year as being too dangerous. So I think Rockbridge is a nice opponent for them to have right now to kind of right this ship. But again, this Madison game was a game we assumed they would win. Rockbridge was too. So it's not like they're going to gain or get back to even on this. But if they get their mind right, get in the right mindset. But I, you know, I think we're talking about a middle of the pack Shenandoah District team here is kind of their upper end at this point with that kind of loss. I think the expectations or hopes. Of seven wins or maintaining what they did last year, I, oh, that's I, gone. I, I think they're flipped away. So
0: yeah, that's gone. Uh, they're not winning seven games this year. Uh, they they need to beat Rockbridge County because they are not beating Central. That's the opponent after that.
2: Oh yeah, they're, they're, um,
0: yeah, nope. And, and yeah. that's I'm not trying to throw any shade or disrespect Stanton or Coach Mikey Bell or or what they're doing over there, but Central's just too good. I, I saw Central. If defense. you can't beat Madison yeah. County, you can't beat Central. That's a fact so go out beat rockbridge county you know learn some lessons against central and then get ready for the rest of your schedule which is james river draft wilson riverheads that's tough before your bye week that's tough (laughs) especially the last three there for them i think because we've already touched on we think riverheads draft wilson are the top three And, and and i i threw out there and leland did not push back too much she wasn't as emphatic as i was but uh, there is a grand canyon size golf between three and four in the Shenandoah district this year where i think one two and three we'll find out this week more but one two and three might be you know a razor's edge and you might be able to put the three of them in any order um
2: We both, we both had Wilson Riverheads uh, in the top two or Riverheads. Wilson is probably the better order as our top two draft is who we had a lot of worries about. I, I think I actually came away
0: with that loss though. And and I know you and chip picked draft to win last week and I picked King William, but I actually came away more impressed with draft than I did going in just because the defense was one of the things where I was like, I, I know the offense is going to be a concern. I'm also kind of concerned about this defense. Now my defensive worries are put to bed. The offensive ones are still there, but I also don't know, hey, did you just play a Class 2A state semifinalist? Yeah, you did. So um, let's see what happens when you play someone who is maybe not that level. Can the offense put up the points necessary and kind of get you back on track to being one of the top teams in the Shenandoah district?
2: That's my hesitation about the Gulf, though. Is is Stewart's draft in that top three, or are they – it it closer are they making that golf gap a little bit less that's that's kind of oh no i think the gap between draft and everybody
0: else even if draft is third right and and they're not as close to the top two as i think they are right now i i do not see i don't see a world where any of the bottom four can be within three scores of Stewart's draft i know this is one weekend and maybe it sounds like (laughs) i'm overreacting and maybe i am but i if you can't beat madison county if you can't beat james river I'll I am absolutely curious as to how you're going to hang with Stewart's draft. Yeah. We'll see. Let's talk about the last game. That's uh, well, two, two we more two we, games. We
2: keep trying to forget one game. Every time we talk about all these games. <laughs> yeah, we do.
0: Um, Let's talk about TA Fort. Good news. Fort was in this game at halftime was really close. And then the second half happened and the wheels kind of fell off the bus. And
2: yeah, they returned returned the opening kick of the second half, and then it was all TA from there. Absolutely.
0: Um, I don't, I don't know. I, I was worried this could happen. Um, in terms of TA blowing Fort out, so it's hard for me to to be too surprised here. Um, I, I think for me, for Fort, it comes up to this next game with Allegheny. That can't be a loss. That's got to be a win. Got to be a win not. for Fort. Yeah. Uh, my concern, yeah. and the reason I say that golf is between Fort and Draft or Wilson or Riverheads or whoever that third best team in the Shandua district is this year, I, I still think Fort might be the fourth best team in the Shandua district, which most years is great for Fort. Um, I, I just don't know if that defense is going to be key enough. W- when I look at these other three teams, I think they have – Great defenses, and I am not sure Ford's defense is going to be up to snuff with with this yeah. kind of competition.
2: Yeah, I, you know, I I would like to paint it. I my my <laughs> Leland Ways would like to paint this as you know Ta is just really good, and and, and they are was right with them. You know, early in the third quarter it was only an eight point game, but. Once you give up 50 points then it, it does paint a different picture even if ta is really good then you'd still like to keep them in those 30s you know I guess for you but like what's the difference then what are we talking about like mm-hmm. that 50 mark is something in football I mean as soon as you get that 50 mark one way there's 51 or 59 you it's it's a it's a big difference when you're there in the 50s and um, yeah I I really hope it's that I think this week could you know give you confidence that it's not really bad there because and I and I think the first half of that game tells you that so I think there's enough there that the next week we'd be able to paint a better picture um but it's still Allegheny Highlands that they're playing this week so I'm only going to gain I can only gain so much and then the next week they're playing Riverheads so it's just like this roller coaster up and down of tough teams and we we knew that coming in we talked about that TA is tough Allegheny get your feet back underneath you Riverhead's gonna be tough then you got Broadway Madison County Waynesboro so I, I said on that pregame show, halfway through the season, we'll have a lot better idea of the the high goal of this fourteen, with like most teams. But it's just this beginning is likely a one and two stretch. If they're zero and three, I'm a lot have a lot bigger problem. But there is some wins available for them in weeks four, five, and six. So show us that we should be confident about week four, five, and six with a with a nice game this week. Um, Allegheny played another local team, and I don't think Allegheny is an absolute rollover. But if Fort is the fourth best team in this district, they'll beat Allegheny this week. So it's just it, it well, to be a neck cut and dry.
0: I don't want to go that far because I don't know if the fourth best dis- team in the district can beat Allegheny. I would just say if Fort is going to be competitive this year, they're going to beat Allegheny. Okay. I, I, I don't know how to say that any nicer than I said this last week. I said this at the end of last year, and there was some pushback. Um, not necessarily from you, but from others, um, that the Shenandoah District is good, and they just beat up on each other. I think that, I mean, teams in the ACC beat up on each other too. It doesn't make the ACC good, so I, we <laughs> they have might to play each other. It might, I, yeah, by rule they have to play each other, and by rule one of them have to yeah. win. And, and this might be just a down year. I'm not saying uh, that these teams are. Awful, terrible, should give up football programs, but it, it just might be a down year, and that, that comes in cycles, right? We've Before this, we've had some really great cycles where the Shenandoah District looked great um, with lots of good football teams, and I think maybe we're on the downside of that swing. Um, really quickly, we touched on it. Allegheny did beat Waynesboro. Emerson Miller scored a touchdown. That's the good news for Waynesboro. Uh, there is one winnable game uh, w- on this. Well, two winnable yeah. games on the schedule, maybe. No, one. They're not beating Monticello.
2: I was disappointed with 35 nothing in this game and then scoring a late I, – I was disappointed with that. So, I mean, I, I don't want to harp on this. We don't need to spend a lot of time on this. We'll have more time to talk about Waynesboro as it comes. But this this was definitely one that you thought an opportunity for Waynesboro. They didn't even come close. So, that's that's tough, tough to start the season that way. So yep. I, yep. All right, next on the x podcast, we are going to have Mike Barber from the Richmond Times-Dispatch, like we always do at this time of year, but I want to start off with uh, the local talk. We just talked about this on the podcast to uh, lead off uh, before our, our local football coverage, but um, you know Coach Hatcher, and uh, you covered his games back when you were on this side of the state, and uh, just wanted to ask, you know, I know you heard about his passing, and uh, I'm sure, you know, share condolences, but I, I just wanted to hear some of your experiences with Coach Hatcher.
3: Yeah, I mean, just, just such an iconic figure. And I mean, I remember that from like the moment I got to Harrisonburg and they talked about, you know, this guy in, in Stanton at R.E. Lee who uh, had been there forever and, and had done all these things and had all these great players and teams. And then as I was covering college basketball, you start coming across – the Tyler Crawfords and the Eli Crawford, all, all the guys who were coming through the program. And, you know, you go to do stories and you talk to them about the players that Paul Hatcher had coached, you know, before them who were their kind of role models. And um, it was just amazing that the, the respect that the kids had. And I went out and, and Paul, Coach Hatcher gave me a really nice treat. They were getting ready to go for, uh, it was one of their state title runs. So he let me come and watch practice. and And the thing that struck me was, I got there early, right? I was 20 minutes early or so, and the kids are in the gym, and they're high school kids, right? They're, like, bouncing off the walls and just doing whatever they want. And then here comes this kind of, you know, frail, slight little old white-haired band into the gym, and it was like the military. I mean, they just snapped into, you know, spot. They listened to everything he said, yes or no, sir. And I remember it struck me so much that I talked to a bunch of the players. I said, you know not that you were doing anything wrong when when Coach walked in the gym, but man, he walked in there and you guys snapped to attention, and, and a bunch of them told me, you know, hey, my dad played for Paul Hatcher, yeah. my uncle played for Paul Hatcher, my grandfather played for Paul Hatcher. The respect they had for that man, um, because of the respect their fathers and uncles and brothers and grand had, and it was just, it was this amazing respect that was passed down. From generation to generation. And Paul Hatcher just kept earning it and deserving it and producing winners. And uh, yeah, just a, a really gracious, warm guy to, to, to spend some time with and an amazing coach uh, at a time when it was getting away maybe from some coaches, right? It's harder to control a team of kids and high school kids and to command that respect. And you know, more coaches go in the the player coach route and the buddy buddy route. And and here was Paul Hatcher just walking into the gym and just commanding that respect because of what he had built there. And uh, I'll, I'll always remember that about him.
2: Well, thanks. Uh, thanks for sharing that. I, 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 it was cool to, uh, you know, you think about how people know him all over the state. So I'm, I'm glad you had a chance to uh, say something there. Uh, you know, you talk about him who deserves respect. We brought you on to talk about some teams that probably don't deserve much respect. <laughs> and that's the Hokies and the Cavaliers in football this year um, so let's, let's start off our, uh, season preview. Let's talk about what we care about the most. The the Hokies, they are voted 11th out of 14th. Um, they named Wells, their starting quarterback who was there for last year's three wins. And they have a bunch of new receivers. Uh, we don't know how
3: good their defense will be. Well, where do you start with these Hokies? <laughs> so I, I'm going to throw you a curveball here. I think they were underrated in the poll. And I actually like this team. This is why a I a lot you. more than, yes. lot more than most people do. Now there's a ceiling on that. don't get too excited. <laughs> I think they can get to six wins and bowl eligible. So oh, I'm not great. putting I'm not putting <laughs> them in the college football playoff. Um, I think that's their ceiling. I think if it all comes together, they can get to six. I think that would be <laughs> tremendous for them developmentally, which I know from where they're coming from, is kind of sad to say, but uh, no, I, you know, I I think a year ago they didn't, and I I don't mean this disrespectfully, they didn't have any good players, especially on the offensive side. They had no skill position players. They had no playmakers. Um, Caleb Smith was fine. He he was a a very serviceable, good receiver. And if he was your number three receiver, you'd be like, wow, that's pretty solid. You know, he can get behind a defense, but to have him be the number one guy and not really have anything else to hang your hat on, they didn't consistently run the ball. Wells was erratic, uh, inconsistent. He would make mistakes. The turnovers. Uh, there was just nothing there, and and it wasn't. You know, I, I didn't blame Brent Pry and his staff because I would watch their games, and it wasn't like I was sitting there thinking, "Man, you got to go to this guy. You got to get to that guy." I was like, "Where do you go? Right? He's 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 in a water gun fight, and he's got no water in his gun. I mean, there, there's nothing you can do." Uh, I think they've upgraded the skill position talent. Um, are they Clemson, Florida State, Miami, Carolina? No, they're, they're not there, but they've upgraded. They've got playmakers, uh, starting with Ollie Jennings uh, at the ODU transfer, two other transfer wide receivers, Michelle Tootin, the transfer running back, uh, Malachi Thomas being healthy uh, at running back, if he can stay that way. I think they've got some pieces on offense to be better. Defensively, I really liked them a year ago. I thought they were pretty good for three quarters. Uh, yeah. I thought yeah. for three quarters, they were one of the top half defenses in the ACC. The problem was one, they wore down. They weren't very deep. The offense never held on to the football. So by the fourth quarter, they were worn down. Um, and then I thought they lacked something in the DNA, maybe to just finish off games, which uh, you have to have. You've got to have that it factor as a defense where. The game's winding down and you're going to make that stop back to the wall. You're going to make those plays. Uh, I think this year they're in a better position. I think they're deeper. And I think Virginia tech is organized better from a coaching standpoint. Um, Brent Pry is a great defensive play caller. So when I say that he needed to give up play calling, it's not that he wasn't doing a good job with that. It's all the other stuff. It was clock management. And if you remember, he gave up play calling for what ended up being the final regular season game against Liberty. And I thought Chris Marv called a, Fine game in terms of being a defensive coordinator. And I thought the operation went better. And I thought Virginia Tech finished the game better. And part of that, I think, is because Brent Pry was focused on the big picture, not looking at a call sheet on third and four to figure out what to call. And uh, they're starting the year that way now. Chris Marv calling the plays. Brent Pry running the show. Uh, Deeper on defense. Uh, They've got some real athleticism. And I know this is going to be sacrilege for some Hokies fans to hear, but Dax Holyfield, who, who was a really good player and a heart and soul uh, leader, the guy wasn't that athletic in the middle of that defense. And they've got some people now who I think can run and move and make – look, again, Dax was great. They knew what they had. They schemed accordingly. But I like the athleticism they have at middle linebacker now. Uh, so I think this defense has a chance to be really, really good this year. I think the offense has more punch. Uh, and I think if all that comes together, this team could vie – for six wins. Wow. From Barber's
0: lips to God's ears on that Dax Holyfield <laughs> stuff. Um, yeah. He, yeah.
2: J- I've been now.
0: saying that for a while. There's a lot of Hioki heroes that at the end of the day, I'm just like, well, that's fine. He's just not that good. Um, yeah. But uh, I agree with a lot of what you said, Barber, especially last year. And I think maybe even Leland and I overlooked some of just how bare bones it was. And uh, Leland will know this. Um, And I just want to take a victory lap on this because I (laughs) predicted I predicted that team being that bad in the sense of I said if they let Fuente stay another year and Leland was in a group text that no longer exists, or at least I don't exist in it because I said it um, and then (laughs) set off a firestorm. I said if Fuente stays another year, we're going to be Wake Forest. And I actually underestimated Wake Forest because Wake Forest is far more ahead than we are right now. And I was laughed at and saying, oh, that's ridiculous. It's just a bad year. And voila, we are a three-win Hokie team. And now our ceiling is a bowl game.
3: Yeah. And I know, you know, when you think about 10 wins in a row under Frank Beamer in all those years, it's it's hard to think that. But I think, guys, I think if they got to six wins, I think that's huge. that's oh,
2: a great step. A great I mean, step I, yeah. And, and, I and, that.
3: It, yeah. And, and it is it is sad to get to that point. But yeah. here's the thing. Some teams get to that point and then don't get to that point, if you know what I mean. Some yeah. teams get yeah. to that three win season and don't get back to being. Um, and some teams go three, six, eight, ten again. And you get you back yourself back up. And um, you know, do I know if Brent Pry is going to be that guy? I have no idea. But certainly if I see six wins uh by his name this year, that's a huge step in the right direction. Yeah. Uh, I what when you
2: saw that article from ESPN, the national media writes this piece on tech and unloads on everything that's happened in these last few years. I I just wonder from a writer's perspective, from, from your perspective, what were your thoughts on, on that piece?
3: So I I want to be careful how I say this. Um, I know how that story started because I had the same sources reach out and and it didn't start out as a, what went wrong in the football program story. That's not, the origin of it. And I think sometimes what happens is you, you get a lead and a tip. And, and like I said, this, this one in particular, I know, well, cause I did the same thing. Um, I got this information and you start calling former employees and former players and former coaches. And at the end of the day, it, in my opinion, what I unearthed didn't, didn't warrant an article. Right. So I, I bagged it. I said, look, you know, it's a bummer. You spend a year kind of digging into stuff. And there was some you know, juicy tidbits that you're like, oh, that's, that's pretty good. And, and you even get some people on the record who, who are giving you some stuff that you're like, okay, that could be a story kind of. And then at the end of the day, does it rise to the level of being newsworthy? Um, and and for me it didn't. And, and then I think what ESPN did and, and Andrea Adelson, who's excellent. I, you know, I love her stuff and uh, she knows, she knows the league and knows these coaches is very well respected. I think what she did there was, in the course of investigating one thing, kind of found some other stuff that, that became a story. And I don't know, it was interesting to see them lay everything on the feet of John Boleyn. Yeah. Um, Who's still there. Still right. Still there. And um, And I'm curious, who is still there. (laughs) Yeah. And and I'm, I'm curious, you know, I would love to hear Justin Fuente's take on it. I know he did not like uh, the story we had Mike Neislich did, did for our chain, Kind of you didn't wrapping write something
2: up, you did. I, I thought you guys were buddies. What are you
3: talking about? No, hey, I didn't write this one, but but Mike <laughs> Nislik did a, a pretty in depth kind of look of you know what went wrong in, in the Fuente tenure, and um, yeah. you know, Justin didn't like that. And um, it, it's interesting when things go south, there's lots of people to blame, right? And sometimes at the end of the day, it's not that juicy. Sometimes at the end of the day, if, if the three of us got on here to do this podcast it might not work, right? Like we've done this before. We know it works. We have good chemistry. You guys do a show all day, but you could put three guys on the screen and and it wouldn't work. And it doesn't mean any of them are bad guys or doing it wrong. It just doesn't work. And I think it was pretty clear, you know, early on for me when I was digging into this stuff, that there were some personalities at Virginia Tech. Don't work together. Mm -hmm. Don't work together. It's it's not going to happen. And um, I don't know. I, I didn't think the story ended up being that big a deal. I think that the the target probably when all of us got this information and started out, uh, it could have been much worse for, for Virginia tech at the end of the day, it was some kind of dysfunctional relationships in a department with a football program that was kind of going off the rails. I didn't think it was anything devastating. Uh, yeah. but you know, it, it was, it wasn't good news. If you're a Hokies fan, it wasn't the story you want out there, but not the end of the world. I thought.
0: Uh, yeah, I- I guess I kind of agree with you. Like at, I read the story and I was like, that's not great. Um, but then I was also kind of like, okay, like it, for me, it comes after, you know, the Iowa, Iowa state scandals, the Northwestern scandal. And I'm like, all right, well, it's not that. So yeah, timing,
3: it's, timing is everything.
0: like, it, <laughs> it, it, timing you know, like, yeah, like, all right, at least we didn't break any laws. Like, so we've got that, yeah, yeah. but
3: it, and, it's, and that's, I, I think that, I think you're I right. <laughs> you're not supposed to. Of course not. It's, it's not a great look, but you're, you're living in a time in college football where if people. I was going to say we're like, laughing
0: about it, but laws get broken in college football, it seems like every
3: year. Yeah. Right. But you know, we're just in a time where if you tell me that the AD and the football coach had shouting and screaming matches, I don't know. Like I, on the scale of what's going on out there, is it great? Is it, you know, it's not the kumbaya story you used to hear about, you know, Carla Williams and Bronco Mendenhall and, you know, how they're, but, but, you know, I think we know that Witt and Justin wasn't working. I think we know that, that Justin and tech wasn't working. Um, So to hear that people got frustrated and also I don't know if this is right or wrong by me, but I give people, I don't mean a pass, obviously if you, if you break laws, break rules, but the things that were going on in COVID, most of what I found when I was researching that, that same angle was, you know, people just disagreed about how they were going to approach things during COVID, where cuts were going to come, how meetings were going to come, when they were going to come back to the office. And I just think it was a very stressful time and a lot of people in a lot of places ended up being, you know, kind of disgruntled and not right, not wrong. But I thought when I read that story, I read this was an unhappy athletic department during a pretty unhappy time on the field and off the field. And you know, just it didn't shock me.
2: Yeah. So how about up the road over at UVA? I I don't have as many bullet points for them because I just want them to fulfill the 14th out of 14 that they were preseason ranked. Uh, What uh, what are you looking at with the Cavaliers?
3: I think you'll be happy. I think they I think that is uh, where (laughs) they're in trouble. I mean,
2: after only two years, is that going to put him in trouble?
3: I don't think so. I think with with everything that uh, they went through, he didn't get a bear covered. No, he didn't. And that's the frustrating thing if you're a fan, yeah. but you know, Tony Elliott took an interesting approach, interesting in, in air quotes. Uh, <laughs> he had a pretty good team and probably could have won six or seven games if he had kind of blended a little bit more towards what they were good at. And then he could have started over the next year. In my book, that would have built him some goodwill. All of those kind of things, and and certainly we didn't know what was coming as far as the shooting tragedy, but football was, you know, that that could have got him. But he went a different direction, and and I I respect it. I don't know if I agree with it. He went with the idea of the sooner we rip off the Band-Aid and start doing things the way I want to do it, the sooner we'll be good at it. And it might mean sacrificing a year where we have Brennan Armstrong and three NFL caliber wide receivers. I don't think you do that. Like in college, to me, in Agreed. college football with fan bases, with how fickle uh, these things are, with how quickly coaches are fired. If you got a team that can get your bowl eligible, you know, take your team to the bowl and then, and then start your, your rebuild. But you know, check back with me in five years. <laughs> Let, let's see where he is. If he's, you know, an assistant coach somewhere, we're going to say, Hey, Barbara was right. He should have tried to win some more games that first year. If he's got that thing rolling, you're going to say, okay, he put up with a lot and endured a lot. And, and, um, kind of put himself out there but it worked so i do believe that as a program they're further along this year than they would have been if they you know blended and tried to do some, so they are Um, i don't think they're very talented I, I mean i just don't look at that team and it's like i said last year with, with tech's offense i don't look at this team and think like okay where are you hanging your hat i think malachi fields has a chance to be an nfl caliber receiver he's coming off an injury does he get there i don't know Malik Washington, the transfer from Northwestern, I think he can be productive, you know, but not, not a superstar. I don't think uh, maybe I'm underselling him to Starling, who, who we've seen for years now is this unbelievably fast guy. He's on the track team. Um, is that ever going to translate into production at some point? Like, it's great that you're fast, but like, you got to do something with it. And, and um, so I don't know, you know, I, I look at this team, I know identity wise, they want to run the football and they've got a great group of running backs. They don't have the offensive line to do it. Um, they want to be run first, play action, pass game. I don't know if they have the offensive line to do it. Um, defensively, I think they're going to be very good. I have questions at the cornerback position. Um, how is that going to work? But but overall, I, I just you know, it's, I, I felt like last year's Tech team was a bad team and they were a bad team. I felt like last year's UVA team was an okay team and they had a bad year. That's not great. And now this year, I think UVA's got a bad team for lack of a better I don't I don't love what they have um I don't have high hopes no and and guys the schedule to start for UVA I think both both teams have really interesting starts but UVA they've got a chance to be zero and four going up to Boston College um the Tennessee game certainly massive underdog JMU a very capable opponent on a day that's going to be emotionally supercharged for Virginia because it's their first game back at home after the shooting Um, All of that is going to be going on. There's going to be a lot of talk about that. Uh, So I just, you know, I just worry about that schedule. You go up to Maryland, and I know everybody laughed at Mike Loxley when he said, "Okay, yo, we're ready to contend for Big Ten titles." Well, you're not. You're not that good. But (laughs) they're pretty, like they're decent. They're a a, a functional team. That's going to be a really tough game. Uh, And then, of course, you come back home uh, to Scott Stadium for Brennan Armstrong's homecoming Mm -hmm. and an NC State team that I think is being underrated in the Uh ACC. Uh Um, So Virginia could be better at playing the game of football and still be Oh, and four going up to Boston college. And I'm afraid with what they're going to emotionally be putting out there uh, because of everything. Oh, and four is just going to be devastating.
0: So with this UVA football team, I know you've touched on a lot there. Um, They, they do play JMU and I know JMU used to be a team that was on your beat back in the day. And now is not so much, but JMU even has a little bit of question marks in terms of going into camp. It was a two quarterback race. And then Kurt Signetti today saying, I think we know yeah. who our starter is, but now there's a battle for number two. And I'm like, wait, what? How do we go from a two QB race for number one to, all right, I think we know who our number one is, but now we don't know who our backup I'm not is tell
2: until an hour. Yeah. We're not going to tell anybody
0: until maybe an hour before Bucknell, because yeah. I have a <laughs> Bucknell, lot of thoughts on right? that. Yeah. because. You know the mighty dynasty that Bucknell is. We don't want
3: to get caught off guard there. No, coaches have a little bit lost their mind with that stuff, and yeah. I think somebody put out a chart today for the Big Twelve that showed that whoever was in first place for whatever that means had thirty-nine oars on their depth chart. That's so ridiculous! Um, <laughs> like... It's just stupid. It really is. And if if you are if you are in a situation where your number one and two quarterback are neck and neck, and then all of a sudden you're not exactly sure, and your number three quarterback might be there with your number two, well, that means your number three is there with your one. That doesn't sound great. No, to right? me, to me, it, to me, it screamed, sp- "We don't have a quarterback." Right? Exactly. It, it may be smokescreen. It may be, hey, we know one, two, three, but we want to keep these kids competing, or it may be we want to keep the other team guessing. All that stupid stuff that they do. But the reality is, the image you give off is I don't have a lot yeah. of confidence. If if the gap between one and three uh, isn't that good, and you're not Alabama, like okay, Alabama, if the if the gap between if, one and three is, you a might have impact.
2: three awesome quarterbacks. Yeah,
3: right. I get it. Uh, <laughs> you may have three future pros, but you know at JMU, if if you're telling me one is fighting two and two is fighting three, and we're a week out from the game, uh, I'm, a, I'm a little bit concerned. I'm also I, like no, good point. I guess
0: I'll go like what you were saying. I hope it's a smokescreen. But, like, the other part of me is, like, I think I'm going to the UVA-JMU game because I think we can beat UVA. So I'm excited for that. But when I'm sitting here and we're like, you know, we're going to hold our quarterback decision until, you know, the day of the Bucknell game, I'm like, if we're scared about Bucknell, like, I'm ready to hit the panic button. And also, this is why the NCAA (laughs) maybe was right for not letting us be in a bowl game this year. Because if we can't, if we're having to use smoke and mirrors on Bucknell, we should not be thinking about a bowl game.
3: Yeah, I, I can't get inside fully the minds of these coaches who are well in the this most one. I think that's a good people. Thing. I remember, and they did, you know, different coaching staff. But I remember being with Mickey Matthews and him <laughs> looking up in the stands, and there was a guy sitting up there, and he was convinced he was from Richmond, and he was scouting what they were doing, and he sent somebody. <laughs> up, and he was the janitor; he had been cleaning out the press box, and he just took a break Back to sit the in the bleachers. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like. You know they're ready to call in a drone strike on this guy because you know what he's stealing. You know they're reinventing the wheel, right? Yeah. You know they're doing something that's never been done before in college football. Yeah. Um, you know, I,
2: all of them. Yeah,
3: you know, it, it's going to be JMU. I think is really strong on the offensive line. Um, I, I think that you know the program is very legit. It, it, it's not. Um, it's not. It's certainly not a scheduled win, which is why JMU is having so much trouble getting teams on the schedule. I mean, they've talked a lot on and off the record about. It. Hey, they want to play Tech every year. Uh, they want to play UVA every year. They want to get those teams to come to Harrisonburg, right? I mean, Virginia Tech has gone to Old Dominion. Will they go to Harrisonburg? And, and that's a big deal for being at that level. And and honestly, um, you know, David Teal wrote a column about this, but it was part of the financial, I not to go off on a tangent, but it was part of the financial plan for JMU was you get to that level and even if it's two-for-one contracts, you're going to bring bringing the Hokies to Harrisonburg and the Cavaliers. And those are going to be big paydays. And now those schools, and again, they're saying, Hey, you know, we don't have room in the schedule. We're scheduled out. It is complicated. Uh, but I don't know. It, it, to me, I'd like to see those games more. JMU is a very legitimate opponent. And, yeah. and yeah, I, I worry about UVA in week two.
2: i, I I'm is Not the same word, but we have similar thoughts. The one point, just going back, I have a point. I like, what i heard this week about all these oars and it was more a pry saying hey wells is our quarterback but drones is going to play a lot of those oars are probably in there because of transfer portal reaction and like why that's ramped up is these coaches It's it's not so much service to a fan or service to like keeping a curtain up but it's keeping these guys a little bit happy so that they don't just bolt to the and, you know, week zero of the college football season, I, I think I think that's a decent point to be made there.
3: Yeah, it is. And, and that was a huge, a really huge point at the end of spring. I think a lot of people were like spring ended and like nobody had starting lineups and depth charts. And that it wasn't real, but it was coaches want to say, hey, I don't want to announce that you're not the starting quarterback. And then you spend the next three months with people in your ear telling you to leave. Right. Um, it's just a change in, in the culture. So yeah, I I think, I think in a less, I don't know know if there's anything wrong with that, but in a different, sometimes it's about keeping kids motivated, right? It's, you know, you need your number two linebacker, you know, you need your number two quarterback. So I don't want to cut off that competition too soon and have them phone it in. And then on top of it, I don't want to cut off that competition too soon and have them bolt. Um, so yeah, I think that's a great point and, and it is a change. Um, it's just you know there's so many things to manage now. Yeah. And uh I don't know how you get there but it is a little silly when we're a week out from the game and and coaches yeah. are acting like we don't know because if you really don't know you should probably be fired. If you've yeah. got that many holes like in that. your... Right? I like that. I mean if you're if you're a week out and you really can't tell me 60% of your lineup I like it. Some, somebody's got to go. Um so <laughs> Like Leland
0: bounced back, I'm now going to bounce back forward. Talking about the scheduling, and this will also go into our next topic in terms of our college football preview for this year, um, that seems like that's going to be harder for the JMUs and the ODUs to get the UVAs and Virginia Techs with the ever-expanding conferences and these, you know, whatever you want to call them, P4 or... Uh, whatever. Uh, power, one, yeah. power two plus two or whatever. Um, that they, they want to play each other in non-conference and really pushed these these better teams like ODU, who's gotten upsets in Norfolk and maybe Virginia Tech. I, I mean, I I don't know. I haven't heard for sure, but I know there's a lot of people that are Virginia Tech fans that would love to stop going to Norfolk when this agreement is over and. I'm sure there are folks in Charlottesville that are like, why do we need to go to Norfolk or Harrisonburg? We're going to lose.
3: Well, yeah. The thing about it with those games, and even though JMU and old dominion have built really respectable programs, you have nothing to gain. If you're Virginia tech, you have nothing to gain. If you have only to lose, right? If you win the game, even if it's a blowout, people say, well, yeah, that's what you were supposed to do, which is not right and fair because, Old Dominion and JMU were capable opponents, and more capable. I mean, to me, both of those schools, you know, Virginia Tech with the East Carolina rivalry for all those years. I mean, JMU, Old Dominion, you could plug them right in there. You know, I think uh-huh. it's just as uh, you know valuable an opponent. Uh, so I think that is the hardest thing: is your fan bases, if you're Tech and UVA, you know, they might not say it, or they may say it there, but they don't want to play those games because there's nothing to gain, and. You know, people will remember forever when you lose. I mean, Brent Pry's first game will always be a road loss to Old Dominion, no matter what he does. That's part of his, you know, legacy. Um, You know, JMU came to Lane Stadium and and beat Virginia Tech, uh, a good Virginia Tech team with a kind of mediocre JMU team. Like, that's always going to be part of the thing there. So um, the financial part is hard. These teams only want to play home games in their non-conference Unless they're swapping, you know, with a big time opponent, the more these leagues expand, which, you know, as we're talking right now, um, the ACC is on the verge of expanding out West and adding teams. They're going to get to a point where they're essentially only playing their conference, uh, maybe an FCS game and maybe a big time crossover opponent. And that's going to be the schedule. And and the, you know, the old group of five and all that, where do they fall? Nobody seems to care (laughs) as all of this is unfolding. (laughs) So let's talk
0: about this expanded ACC because yeah. I, I actually thought the ACC made the right decision when they didn't take these teams. Because for me, I was like, okay, the, the value added is not worth the squeeze. And I, I don't know, maybe maybe you'll know better. Um, but it was my understanding that if these schools are added, then that grant of rights, which is the only thing keeping the ACC together, now becomes a little less airtight and why would you risk bringing these teams in for the even if they do say we don't we're not gonna take any money for seven years or whatever and kill that program for that um is it worth Florida state clemson miami north carolina nc state whoever else who's already made loud grumblings and looking to bolt is is that going to be enough to keep them
3: well here's the answer. Nobody cares what Joe thinks, what Leland thinks, or what Mike thinks. Right? They care what Florida State and Clemson think. So if saying, hey, there's a pot of $55 million, is the number we're here, $55 annually that we're going to use for the performance bonuses, in other words, the uneven distribution, so the good teams are going to get that money. If that moves the needle for Clemson and Florida State, you'll go to Guam to play games if that's going to keep things together. On the grant of rights front, it's really interesting, because that was my point, was you start tinkering, and no matter what you think the grant of rights says, you start tinkering, and now it's more—it's going to be easier to challenge. My understanding, and, and their meeting, they were supposed to meet uh, Monday yeah. night, but there, there was a, the shooting incident in Carolina. That meeting got pushed back. My understanding is if they vote to add Cal, Stanford, and SMU, they will also vote on essentially an amended grant of rights that will alleviate that. That will basically say the grant of rights as it was stands, and no one can challenge it because we're adding these. Teams. That will be part of. Uh, so they're not going to open themselves up to. So the why whole thing is local.
2: why would Florida State, Clemson? Yeah, that's my question. Owns, why would they?
3: Why would they agree? To because that? here's the thing: the know, money's I, sitting there in
2: the SEC, ready for them.
3: Yeah, it, it is. It is, and it's it's not though. Here's the thing: if you're Clemson, you're Florida State. Your easiest path to play for a national title is still the ACC. It is. It's, it's, that is the easiest path to play for a national title. If the ACC can get you the money that you need to be competitive, that's your best bet. Um, we don't know what's going to happen with the next SEC TV contract, right, with the streaming. There's a lot of people in the industry, and nobody knows. There's a lot of people in the industry who think that bubble's about to burst. And that the ACC contract right now, which is terrible, is going to be more the norm the next time through um we're not sure right Notre Dame's got their deal coming up the Big 12 is going to have a deal that's the thing that's you know scary for the ACC is the ACC keeps hanging its hat on we're the number three league and yeah you'd love to be one but three is not so bad and the Big 12 may jump them with that new TV contract so it's a really fascinating time but basically at the end of the day I don't think Clemson wants to leave the ACC Florida State doesn't care they'll go wherever the money's best Clemson would like to stay in the ACC where they have a history if the ACC can make that economically viable Um, and this is a step in that direction. So I I think I hate it for all the sports reasons, all the on-field reasons. It's just stupid, right? Like it's the Atlantic coast conference. And like, I know enough geography to tell you that Cal and Stanford aren't on the Atlantic coast, right? Like that's, that's not hard. Although, I mean, I was the kid who grew up confused about uh, where Phoenix was because they were in the NFC East. The Phoenix Cardinals. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't understand on this map where I'm, there must be somewhere by Philadelphia. But, um, you know, I, I think that it makes sense if you can fix the money. Because the thing about the grant of rights, right? It runs through 2036. Okay, it does. But every year it gets less expensive right. and less prohibitive to leave. So to me, if you're Clemson, Florida State, this is a no brainer. And they were two of the schools blocking this. You can get some extra money. And you're still moving closer towards a point where you can then afford to get out if you want. Or if this money coming in makes a difference and things are trending differently, um, everybody's looking for two things and they don't go together. Everybody's looking for stability and everybody's looking to make a big jump, right? Yeah. So it doesn't work, right? If, if everybody's trying to make sure that their home is stable, but they're also looking to leave their home, <laughs> It doesn't. It doesn't work for everybody. It's. It's why the alliance was such a joke, right? Right. Yeah. We're going to have each other's back and look out for each other. But no, you're not. Of course. So you're the not. next
2: you're... person talks to me.
3: yeah. Exactly. And and that's yeah. um, so so alliance just, on alliance crime. Really, yeah. Yeah. And it really is. And and it's going to stay that way, right? Yeah. At The end of the day, every school and they're not wrong, but every school is going to do what's best for them. Every league is going to do what's best for them because there is. Hey, the pack. Whatever that pack four, I guess. Now, like they just showed you how quickly it can get away from you, how quickly you can go from being a Power Five conference, right. and, and that having... conference
2: has more story than any of these other ones. Oh, well, well, like, I mean, and, not, yeah. Yeah. when
3: you think, I mean, they're gone, but you think about USC, and you know, I mean, th- yeah. those are, and and it just overnight it disintegrated, and that is the thing that you know people are going to bang on the SEC and, and John Swafford and Jim Phillips, but they're still here, <laughs> and and there's <laughs> something to be said for still being here.
0: So, uh, you mentioned Notre Dame and their TV deals coming up. I I, I read about Notre Dame being big proponents toward the ACC of, you guys got to bring in Stanford and Cal because, you know, what if these great academic institutions aren't part of D1 and their storied histories and, you know, yada, yada, yada. Why didn't the ACC – this kind of felt like the second time where they might have been able to hold Notre Dame to the fire and say, you know what, we will bring them in if you come with them because they know the answer, right? But then they could tell um, Notre Dame, okay, well, then that's the answer. And when Cal and Stanford die, but, then you lose Cal and Stanford. But,
3: no, but Notre Dame doesn't really care. I mean, they, they care enough to a point, but um, the ACC understands the situation with Notre Dame. And the situation with Notre Dame is essentially this. Unless their path to the college football playoff is blocked by not being in a conference, they're not going to be in a conference. And Notre Dame is perfectly happy to join the ACC at that point if the ACC is still there. So if you're the <laughs> ACC, it's almost like, okay, how can we survive and how can we steer the college football playoff into being a power five only, power four, whoever's left, only type situation? Uh, and where are you going to get the support? Because everybody bangs the drum for at least you know one group of five team, or as we expand more. So it's it's a really delicate tightrope that they're kind of walking, right? We've already seen Jim Phillips, probably his best maneuvering as commissioner was when he kind of blocked the, the expansion to show like, hey, there's power here in the ACC. Uh, Notre Dame, if they can't get to the college football playoff as an independent, then they'll join a conference. And, and if the Big Ten has killed the ACC by then, they'll join the Big Ten. And if they haven't, I think they can get them into the ACC. I just, I don't think it's going to happen. Like, I think Notre Dame has enough pull that, and enough of a seat at the table that every time it comes around, it's going to be okay. How many outlarges? How many this? Oh, and where's Notre Dame's spot? Right, like, like the ACC bowl agreement where it's like, okay, it's this and this and this pairing. But also, Notre Dame can just come and take that spot. Um, I think Notre Dame's still going to have that. Yeah. Um. Well, I, I guess
0: my my next question would be, you know, with all this realignment, I know there's – I've already seen on social media the, the questioning of the college football playoff agreement that we had, which was the top six conference champions get automatic bids, and now that there's, like, four power conferences, like, oh, you know what? Maybe we'll revisit that, and maybe it's the top five, and maybe it's only four, and we tell the G5, sorry, we changed our minds. Um, but uh, I, I'm wondering – at, at what point, and I know you're talking about the ACC and if the ACC is still around or if it's not, but at what point does you know the Big Ten and the SEC, if they have the, the majority of the power it, it, with these teams and the, the biggest conferences, the most money and all that, uh, and the TV networks that come with that, uh, do they look at Notre Dame and kind of force their hand and say, you know what, you're joining one of us or you're, you're out?
3: Yeah, I think that's – it's funny how everybody treats Notre Dame like walking on eggshells. Um, Everybody kind of wants to do it the nice way. But I think down the line, you're you're right. It could be a situation where they say, hey, look, this is where we're getting to, and it's going to be the SEC, the Big Ten, and whatever becomes of the other remaining Power Fives, and we're going to have a playoff, and it's going to be separate, and it's going to be its thing, and uh, if you want in – you better be a member of somebody, um, and certainly if you're the Big Ten and the SEC, you can put the pressure to. Um, it's interesting, you know. I, I do think, I think the Big Ten is better off if there are three, four, or five leagues that are competitive, and the SEC and the Big Ten are just the best of them. I think that's the best case scenario. I think the Big Ten is just—it's this this money grab, and like you know, the, they're probably looking behind them, thinking, "Man, it'd be better if everybody came up here." But then they're looking at the SEC and they're like, well, we can't lose sight of those guys. And those two have just kind of gone off into the stratosphere. But uh, certainly the Big Ten and the SEC have the power. They'll have the power in reshaping the college football playoff. At some point they'll have the power in terms of leveraging uh, Florida State, Clemson, Notre Dame, any of these teams where they want them. And it's a question of what do they want. And if it gets to a point where what they want is, and this was talked about the last round a lot, two super conferences, right, an NFC and an AFC, for, for lack of better terminology, then, yeah, I think everybody's in trouble that isn't already under one of those banners.
2: Let's look a little bit more at this season. I know we were looking long range there. I have a loaded question for you. Who do you have playing in the ACC championship and winning it, and does that team make the college football playoff this year?
3: So I, I, this is going to be a really boring answer because it's straight chalk.
2: Oh, <laughs> got- I thought you'd have NC State up there.
3: You know, I have them third. I really like NC State, but I don't have them cracking it. I've got Clemson and Florida State. Um, I think Clemson's still the class of the league. I think it's their conference to lose. I think Florida State is legit, right? Like we always, every three years, oh, Miami's back. The U's back. No, they're not. They're never back. It's just not a thing. They're not back. Sorry. Florida State has built this thing up the right way. Um, This isn't a flash in the pan. We're not in love with one or two transfers that we think they're good Mike Norvell has built that program up to be really, really good again. Um, they've got talent, they've got depth, they've got playmakers. Uh, I think they're right there. I don't think they'll beat Clemson. I think Clemson will win. And yes, I do think Clemson will be in the college football playoff. I think they uh, are strong uh, this year defensively. Can they can do that? Uh, I like their 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 line. I like their pieces off. I, I just it's a complete program. Uh, and hey, you know, playing in the ACC makes things a little bit easier. There there are less pitfalls. Um, you mentioned state. I love state this year. I think their defense is really, really good. They're talking down. I went down to Raleigh to do a story on Brendan Armstrong and I was talking to some of their coaches and, and they were talking about, they think their linebackers might be better, which is mind blowing. Cause their linebackers a year ago, were, were just all studs. Um, I really like NC state. I think it's funny that, you know, we're done with divisions, but those three teams I just named for you <laughs> were all Atlantic division teams. Yeah. Um, uh, so, you know, it, um, it's going to be interesting, but I think at the end of the day, I think Clemson is the real deal. I, I think they will be the ACC champion. I think they'll beat Florida State, and I think they'll be in the college football playoff, which is boring.
0: I know. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. That's the right answer, though. That's probably the well, right yeah, answer. Yeah, I
3: mean, that's that's the bummer of it, right? Like, um, I love State as a dark horse. I think people are uh, undervaluing uh, Pittsburgh. I think they could be good. Oh, don't say that. Um, I think – I think Duke could be good, oh but not not Clemson, Florida State, NC State. Good. I, I think it's a, I think it's a two team league. But um, you know, I, I'd throw State in there as as the potential spoiler. So who's your natty pick? <sighs> this is going to be terrible again. But it, it's it's Alabama. Oh. Um, that's, I, not, I th- that's not chalk chalk. That's it's not chalk chalk. Right, yeah. I, I, when I say bad, I think it's just like not an answer that anyone's like, "Oh, good, yeah. boy, we, we missed them." <laughs> where, where did they go for a year? Yeah, it's been there? like two um, years.
2: No. There's the history with them, though. But like when they when they get kind of knocked down to this fourth, fifth spot, that's when they surge and win the Natty. Like that's it, the, what's that's what
3: it. the yes, gas and, and that's what it feels like. It, it feels like they are still clearly one of the best teams in the nation, and now they've got this. You know, underdog mentality, which is ridiculous. Right. Of course, yes. ridiculous. You're Alabama, yes. but it really does. And and just where their rosters at. Certainly, they lost a lot. They always do, but they just feel again depth at every position. So many playmakers on both sides of the ball. I, I just, I really like this Alabama team. I, I think they're going to win it all. Ohio State has a great team this year. Georgia has a great team this year. I'm not sold on Michigan, and that probably means they'll win it all. Now that I said that, but I'm just. I'm not sold on that team. Uh, I, I think Alabama is where it's at, and, and I certainly I, I think the, the SEC is where it's at. Too worried about those cheeseburgers.
2: Yeah, the <laughs> yeah. drama from Michigan. I think I was a little more positive about Michigan and kind of – I was actually trying to look at them as like maybe that surprising – like, why not them kind of thing. But then I realized then, then the poll came out and they were second. I was like, well, I guess I'm not really ahead of anybody on this. Um, <laughs> but then also this suspension and all this drama, it's just like, you can't get away from the drama. And I think, I think that's going to kill them.
3: Yeah. And it's uh it's sort of a Jim Harbaugh staple. I mean, the yep. guy's a, a really good coach, but at some point it's, it's like, just weirdo. coach. Yeah. yeah. Just coach. Like, and it's weird because I don't know. I, I, I know I've met him a few times. I don't know his brother, John, at all. But John strikes me as, like, none of that, right? Like, John Harbaugh strikes me as, like, just to, like, go to work, do your job, keep your mouth shut, keep the drama to a minimum. And then here's Jim, who just feels like, you know, the, the manager WWE wrestler. It's just, I, I don't know. It's just, <laughs> hey, it, it worked. It vaulted them back into the, the national spotlight. All that stuff he did with recruiting when he first got there. But I don't know. It, it wears thin after a while. And, you know, I think it wore thin when he was with the Niners. And it may yeah. wear thin at Michigan. And, you know, he may be one of these guys who, you know, I, I'm a big hockey fan, New York Rangers. We, the last time we won the Stanley Cup was 94. We had a coach named Mike Keenan. And the thing with Mike Keenan was you had to win the Cup in his third or fourth year because nobody was going to tolerate him beyond that. It wasn't going to last. And um, so for Harbaugh, you know, this may be a, a pretty big year because – I yeah. imagine that act is wearing thin.
2: Well, I know you're busy, but you've been watching anything on on the tube lately or any good movies lately that you get to recommend?
3: So we I'm trying to, we, we did just, uh, I've been watching Succession, which I was a little bit behind, but I, yeah. I finally got into it. I thought it was really good. Um, I don't know why, but it was always like pop up on the screen and say, you know, oh, you should watch it. And I was like, ah, I wasn't interested. And then they started to be throwing like spoilers out there and everybody was talking about, you know, this last season. And I'm like, okay. And I watched it. Um, I thought that was really good. Uh, my wife and I watched uh, only murders in the building, which was phenomenal. Uh, it was really funny, really good. They're about to have, there's another season out. We're about yeah, to start. We started that. That. Yeah. So I, I really liked both of those. Um, since the last time I saw you, I, I watched, uh, what was it? The last of us. Oh yeah. I, I think, yeah, was I think that was, yeah, that was intense though, man. Like mm-hmm. the first time you see the the Creature I was like, geez, I don't, the, I don't know if we should be watching this at 10 o'clock at night as we're falling asleep. Like they're on a Pixar movie. But uh, yeah, re- really liked Only Murders, really liked Succession. And uh, those are the two that, that we've been hitting the hardest. Awesome.
2: Well, thanks for coming on with us. Like always, I know we'll be bugging you down the road uh, as the football season get, keeps going or in, but especially for basketball when that comes. So we look forward to talking to you then.
3: Yeah, thanks for having me, guys.
0: Thanks again to Mike Barber for talking to us on some college football. But Leland, now it's time for the D Block. Um, you see the topics. I'll let you drive.
2: <laughs> I'm gonna talk because I finally went to Top Golf. That that place is made for uh, Leland McRae. There's TVs everywhere, food and drinks coming, and then it's a driving range, and not just you know a typical driving range. There's targets and stuff out there, video screens tracking your ball, just all sorts of cool stuff. I knew all this. It's not like I went there and learned a lot more. I just finally got to experience it. Loved it. Uh, we were in Richmond and we went to the actual Top Golf branded facility. They have one similar to that there that was has been there longer. I don't know if it's exactly the same or not, but same kind of stuff going on. But the Top Golf was awesome. I really liked it. Uh, I recommend it to anybody that swings a golf club. Uh, go because it's fun. Little 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 expensive, but sure. you know a special occasion or something like that. Go have fun with it big group of people I recommend too. Cause that kind of helps the expense to a degree. Um, but, uh, all kinds of different ways to be shooting at these targets or, or just gripping, whatever you want to do. So really enjoyed doing the top golf there. And, uh, I'm looking forward to it. You've been to it before, haven't you?
0: I've been a couple times. Yeah. I enjoy top golf. It's fun as a person who doesn't really love golf. I, I well, I shouldn't say that. I don't like watching golf. I'll mm-hmm. golf anytime. It's fine. But yeah, Top Golf is different, and I love Top Golf. Can't get enough Top Golf.
2: Yeah, I'm looking forward to going again.
0: All right. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed Top Golf. Um, Fun. My two things kind of go together. Do you just want to go next again?
2: Yeah. No, no, no. You hit it.
0: Oh, okay. I'll do my two, and then you go close it. All right. I got yeah. it. All right. Well, Sandwich. one of the documentaries that I've been watching, and this is the one that's going to dominate my life is uh, HBO, both are HBO documentaries, actually, but one is called Telemarketers. Um, Hmm. And I saw who was involved in the making of it, and it's very, like, producer and director kind of roles for those guys. Um, But I was like, oh, these are kind of funny people. Maybe this is a comedy. And you start watching it, and you realize, oh, no, it's a docu-series, and oh, no, it's not a comedy. This is real life, and it's depressing and upsetting um but it it goes into and it's these two guys who used to work at one of these telemarketing firms called CDG a Civic Development Group and this is an experience that everybody i think has gone through you've gotten the unsolicited telemarketing phone calls saying you know it's the Virginia fraternal order of police calling to get your money and give money and we'll give it to you know the families of fallen troopers Uh, And you find out just how little of that money goes to the families of fallen troopers. And in a lot of cases, it's $0. um, Because the actual fraternal order of police get only 10% of your donation. And most of that 10% goes into a general fund, not toward the families of fallen troopers. Um, And so as a person who didn't, usually make it very far in the phone conversation before he hung up anyway. Um, not because I don't care about the fraternal or police, but because I don't like talking to telemarketers. Um, and I'm part of the generation that grew up on you never give out your financial information over the phone. Um, it, it was something just to learn how much money these people get and how big of a scam it is and how many of them are actually technically not breaking laws um, because they've now moved to political action committees. And if you're a political action committee, you don't have to say that the amount of... you. If you ask about the percentage, they don't have to tell you versus if you were to ask when they call and say they're the Virginia Fraternal Order of Police, if they say they're a cop, that's technically breaking the law um, because these people are usually not cops. Uh, they are just telemarketers a lot with criminal backgrounds that they get hired because these groups don't care. They just want people who can sell. Um, They. uh, But yeah, you should watch it. I mean, three episodes are out. There's still more to come. Um, It's a, it's a bizarre documentary because the two people, as I mentioned, that are making the documentary were used to work at these call centers. And, you know, these are two guys that kind of, after making after working at these places for years we're like you know this is kind of not cool this is kind of messed up and then they've kind of gone into the investigative role trying to get to the bottom of this and you you find out how many of these police organizations are actually involved in, in some of the not great aspects of this uh it's it's kind of heartbreaking because you're like and there's, there's a scene right now, I don't want to spoil anything, but there's a scene right now where they're talking about, you know, like, oh, well, how do we fix this? And you, you find out the people that actually have the power to fix it are very unmotivated to fix it. And mm. hence why they went to political action committees. Um, because all of a sudden, the people in Congress that can, you know, maybe make some laws here, they get money from these political action committees. So they're not incentivized uh, to do this, which Again, brings us back to uh, all the joys that money and politics brings. So, <laughs> it's great that the Supreme Court ruled that free speech is money, or money is free speech. That was a great ruling. That's done a lot for our democracy.
2: Yeah, mm. I'm interested in watching that. I'll, I'll look into that. I didn't really know about it until you just talked about it. So, we'll look into that.
0: Next one, you might remember Bishop Sycamore. That's the name of that fake school that went out and played IMG in Canton, Ohio, and got their brains beat in um and espn put it on national tv and then espn with the rest of america found out that those d1 prospects were not d1 prospects um there's a documentary on there called bs high uh and it looks into the bishop sycamore and you look into the background of that and um the guy's name is escaping me now i'm gonna have to look it up uh
2: yeah, now this one is on my list because, like, I know we've talked a lot about some of these documentaries lately. Like the, um, they had the Johnny Manziel one that I watched. I started the um, Florida one. Oh, stop spend- watching
0: it! Stop watching it! Don't give them the clicks! Don't give them the clicks because that's what gets that created. That is garbage. They didn't do anything. That is an Urban Meyer praise piece. Those people should be ashamed. That's that's not a documentary.
2: But where I was going, with what I was saying was that this one does look better. And like, I guess this is HBO and you have Mm -hmm. a lot more faith in what the quality of these HBO documentaries. I mean, the same as we talk about 30 for thirties, you give that same, maybe even more respect to the uh, HBO documentary. So I've been anxious for this one to come out. I guess it just came out what last week.
0: Yeah. It's, it's brand new. It's one, one thing. It's not a multi-piece thing. So it's one thing. I think it's been a little under an hour and a half. Roy Johnson is the name of the guy. They get Roy Johnson to sit down and let me tell you the people at Netflix, we like, oh, Urban Meyer wouldn't have sat down, you know, he wouldn't have, we wouldn't have been able to get him if we had, you know, done all the investigative stuff that people wanted and blah, 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 which to me, I'm like, fine, then don't have Urban Meyer, I don't need Urban Meyer, I don't need Tim Tebow, like, I, I don't care to talk about how good those teams were, I remember, it's not long enough ago for me to forget that. I would rather not have those people and have the stories that are interesting, that are somewhat untold, than- Very much so than what you made. You you made hot garbage. You made poop. And I implore, if you haven't watched it, I implore you, do not watch Swamp Kings. Because if that thing doesn't get watched, then Netflix is going to look at those people and be like, sorry, your thing's not getting watched, we're not paying you. Uh, which is exactly what should happen to those people. They've made now two that I think are very crap. The Johnny Manziel one is very... Johnny Manziel is putting forth what Johnny Manziel wants to say. And... I don't know. I I I get that
2: one more because at least somebody looked bad in that. Yeah. And it's
0: not that I need somebody to look bad, but I just, I need, I need there to be checks. When people say something, I need there to be checks. There are plenty of checks in this Roy Johnson one and BS high. Roy Johnson says some stuff straight face into a camera. And then you have another guy pop up. That's like, Nope, that's not true. And then goes into what, like he says, (laughs) we didn't break any rules. We didn't join. He's calling it OSHA. It's the Ohio, State Athletic Association, which is OHSAA. So it's not OSHA, it's OSA. Um, but he's calling it OSHA, which I guess technically he's right. They didn't join OSHA.
2: I I've been trained by OSHA. Yeah. I, yeah. I deal with OSHA with construction.
0: Yeah. yeah. He's technically not wrong. They didn't join <laughs> OSHA, but he's talking about OSA. And the investigator for OSA goes, No, that's not true. He contractually agreed to participate in OSA rules, and there are very much rules saying. Once a kid turns 20, they're not allowed to play high school football. And there are a number of kids (laughs) over 20 that are playing high school football for Bishop Sycamore. Um, There's also not really any schooling going on. You learn that pretty quick. And you just learn what this guy did. And it's how little the people like that made the game were paying attention. And this investigator's like, I called media outlets three years before this game happened saying, hey, this is not real none of this is real and nobody cared until they were. And he's like, part of me's, you know, bleep you because nobody cared until this thing was on national TV. And he's like, we could have really stopped this before it got really bad. But, and then at the end of the documentary, Leland, this is what's crazy. He sits there and says, I've got people calling to play us. What? He's like, I've got people calling to play us. I've got 14 teams calling to play, 14 schools calling to play us. He goes, so we're not going anywhere. And I'm like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> I'm like, but well, where are you? Who is sending their kids to you? Yeah. Because let me tell you, you watch this and it's heartbreaking. I mean, you hear some really crappy stories and this guy's unhinged. He's a lunatic. It's crazy. Like he'll sit there and he'll just look at you and be like, yeah, I broke some rules. Yeah. Yeah. I did that. Yeah. Yeah. Would I, would I change anything? No. And you're like, Oh my gosh. Okay. Like we've learned nothing. Great. Um, so that's one where the, they get the guy. Now I understand Urban Meyer's, not that crazy. Like Urban Meyer's done some wild things, but he's not like self saboteur crazy. Like this guy is maybe. Um, yeah. So I get that that might not be the situation that the Netflix directors are working with, but to, to bounce back and forth here again, Swamp Kings would have been so much better without Tim Tebow, without Urban Meyer, but with people who had firsthand accounts of those other stories or, or knowledge of those, those other stories
2: and those other guys. And with... there are there are a ton, yeah. a ton
0: of stories about those teams that have not been told in the public eye that that are just waiting to be told. And honestly, I hope someone goes in and makes an actual documentary about those teams because there's a ton of information and great stories to be told there it's just these people didn't tell them whether that's because they thought urban meyer and tim tebow was a bigger draw or i don't know but i I want that to fail like i there's enough negative press about it i i hope these people don't get to make more documentaries but i also know that if netflix doesn't give them a green light somebody else will and it'll these guys will keep doing puff pieces for these people urban meyer's not a good dude At the end of the day, Urban Meyer's not a good dude. But he's gonna come out looking great in that. They don't talk about anything about Urban Meyer. Like, there's apparently a scene, I haven't seen it, but I've I've heard people who have seen it talk about it, and they say, There's a scene where Urban Meyer's like, domestic violence is a zero tolerance policy. And they're like, and then he just moves on to something else, and they're like totally ignoring the fact that he had a coach on his staff at Ohio State for years who was guilty of domestic violence. Yep. no fact check no well actually no nothing and the only thing about aaron hernandez is tim tebow saying yeah i wish i had prevented him from getting in that bar fight i was like that's what <laughs> yeah okay
3: that's what you. i watched about. another aaron yeah.
0: hernandez documentary on netflix where he maybe murdered some people while he's at florida but i guess that no yeah. Okay. no time
2: So, something that I know that you need to know, and and the reason it's, I know what you need to know and not dominating my life, because it was pretty impossible to find on television, Uh, but it's something that once a summer, especially every four summers, really dominates our lives. In our house, we like watching the US track and field at the Olympics, and when we can catch it in the off years, we're interested. I I thought there was a good story that came out of this. I think uh, Shikari Richardson, I think you remember her, Joe. Uh, Mm -hmm. She was the athlete that got um, failed a drug test for marijuana and then was unable to run and, and, and all that. And she didn't exactly come off the best throughout that whole process, even though immediately there was a lot of calls to like, seriously, she's getting in trouble for weed when (laughs) like it was legal where she did or like, you know, everybody had their reasons. And and some people were just quick to write her off Um, in her own words per Nike billboard. So, but I'm sure she checked off on it. I'm back. I'm, I'm not back. I'm better. And um, she's referencing that she was in a downtime then and she was dealing with deaths in her family and and everything she was dealing with and and also maturing as an adult and um, on a big stage to do that. And so she is back running very well. She won the 100 meter. Uh, She did that by not finishing in the top two in any of the semis. So she depended on her time to get her into that final. She won from the outside lane and her personal best 10 5 uh, And so that was a really exciting race. As That was like on Twitter right after it happened, and we were real excited to watch that, and that was cool. And we've kind of been following along that story. I think it's a good story from my view of it. Um, and, you know, it's always, it's always better these people, you know, performing their best and, and, and feeling more confident about the, way, the place they are. So I, I like that for her. Um, also part of a good four by one team. Uh, I think she was uh, the anchor on that. So that that was really cool too. Um, U.S. did great in general across uh, men's and women's running. Uh, my first question when I was kind of seeing those results, well, where's Jamaica? Um, but we beat some Jamaicans here and there. There was some spots where maybe some of the top Jamaicans weren't there, but it, it does set up for next summer in Paris for the Olympics for that to – To really have a lot of momentum and a lot of heat uh going into these races uh that the us can compete in those and it's not just going to be dominated by the jamaicans again um or if it is it's going to be hard for them to do that so I, i like that on the men's side uh noah lyle's he promised three golds uh he won the 100 he won the 200 and then when he was anchoring the four by 100 he holds up three fingers as he's going across the finish line uh for the three so um, not that I'm always into the flash from, uh, from, from athletes. Uh, I, I like it in the track quicker than other places because of how individual that sport can be. And, and I like it when people back it up. I always liked Usain Bolt and, and stuff like that. I, I, I like track and i um, in a, in a household that likes track. So that was cool. Um, so yeah, we missed out really watching those live, but we followed along to the results and the highlights that came right after. And I just wanted to make sure people knew that. And there's reason to be excited about it us track going into the olympics next summer and also on the side note simone Biles is is back and uh she won the um gold for the women's gymnastics and so that should be exciting to see her back in paris next year so a lot of olympic type of excitement here at the end of summer and we probably won't talk much about it until next summer when there's olympics but i think there's a lot of good stories for americans going into next summer and it'll be exciting
0: yeah. I and mean, that was awesome to see us do well in that event. Um, I didn't watch a lot of the track and field because I'm glad you guys are into track and field for me. It's like Olympics are bust like Olympics or I'm not watching, yeah, um, but that's, yeah. that's just me. Um, I'm not saying it shouldn't be on. I, I am a fan. We're of, definitely
2: more excited to the Olympics than we are the other. I sure. admit that
0: too. I'm a fan of if it's, you know, as many streaming services as there
2: are out there, it should be available somewhere for folks that do want to watch it. So Um, Yeah. You should be scratching CNBC and the AM to like, try to find (laughs) the viewing hours for this. It's, it's kind of ridiculous.
0: But I know Jeff is happy that we haven't talked about soccer, but the premier league is back Liverpool down, down to 10 men and down a goal to Newcastle came back to win two to one at the death. (laughs) It was sick. The manager for Newcastle was looking over at Jurgen Klopp, who is a legend. And gave him the shh, gave him the shh sign when they were up 1-0. And when Liverpool came back and scored the second goal basically at the death, Jurgen Klopp looks over and (laughs) shh to him, which I loved. Oh, I'm telling you, Jurgen Klopp for president. He's not an American, which might make it against the Constitution, but I'm for amending it for him. That guy, oh, loved it. I was so jacked when that happened. Also, Christian Pulisic, while we're talking about soccer, the American.
2: Oh, no, not while we're talking about soccer.
0: (laughs) Well, but the American Christian Pulisic left Chelsea, went to AC Milan to go play in Italy, and he's been tearing it up since being over there. He's doing really well. So that's great news. Hopefully, he can stay healthy.
2: So two two paragraphs about soccer is where we'll leave it on this Yak Sports podcast. I'm just happy we got without you going off about the Orioles owner. So we're gonna get out of here before you do next week. Uh, thank you guys for listening to episode 259 of the Yak Sports podcast. Make sure your friends know. Hey, we talked a lot. We talked a lot of local stuff today. This is what we prefer to do each and every week. Um, and so we'll be back next week to talk more about high school football and volleyball and everything that's going on. Make sure your friends know that we're doing this. And then they can follow along at at Yak Sports Pod on the social medias or by subscribing on Podbean, Apple, Google, and Spotify. Doesn't cost anything to listen to us. So find us whichever way you can. And uh, we look forward to you guys hearing us. And we'll be back next week with more of the sports that matter to you, the Augusta County sports fan.